Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Upstate Unconventional. I'm your host, Nico. If you've had a paranormal or a spiritual experience and you'd like to be on the show, or you want to just come on and talk about some unconventional topics, send me an email at upstateunconventional at gmail.com or find me on Instagram at upstate underscore unconventional. Send me a message and we'll get you on the show. If you like the show and you want to support this show, the best thing you can do is go over to Apple Podcasts and leave me a five-star review. And you can go over to Spotify and leave me five stars as well. With all that being said, today's episode is with Old Scary World. He comes back for part two. And this one's a marathon, folks. I really hope you enjoy it. Uh, Check out Old Scary World's content at Mud Flood Memes on Instagram. And I'll leave a link below so you can find his YouTube channel and where to get in contact with him. This is a great conversation. Enjoy it. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Upstate Unconventional. We have a returning guest. I have Old Scary World back. Old Scary World, how are you doing today? I'm doing good. How are you? I'm doing great, man. Uh, Thank you for coming back on. Um, Your episode is one of my top episodes, and uh, I'm really glad we could uh, do this again. Uh, Because we kind of left it, like you said, kind of open-ended. We were talking about parenting and, you know, the father, the lack of father figure in uh mm-hmm. today's society and i think we should just kind of jump right into there um you had a couple yeah uh, i was yeah i was actually <clears throat> i was thinking about uh because you know i mentioned my father uh in the last podcast a little bit and i was trying to think about if he had left me any clues about you know just anything that with the way that the world was going and the way that it has been and then that kind of got me thinking about how uh how fathers used to be in previous generations and you saw a lot more oral storytelling and things like that and I was trying to remember some of the paranormal experiences that he had some of the psychedelic experiences that he had not because of of drugs per se but just because of his personal experiences and being in you know prison and stuff like that and mm-hmm. going through um, starvation and uh, dehydration being you know in a solitary confinement and then I just think about how much patience that I, I got from that. And I think that that's really lacking with uh, males is they don't have patience that their father taught them because their father had, you know, harrowing experiences or, you know, hardships that taught them patience. And so that's another maybe overlooked, you know, uh, value that's not getting instilled upon men is patience. And then that affects their relationships with women because they're not taught how to be patient and women, you know, they need a lot of patience. You have to be very patient with women, you know, and, you know, other men too, but that's like a separate issue. And I just think like, that's just something that can't be taught necessarily via the internet. Like you can, these Jordan Petersons and Owen Benjamins and Ben Shapiro's and even your, uh, what's the other guy who's, um, he's kind of like a news kind of guy, uh, Rubens, uh, Dave Rubin or something like that on youtube yep you know and they they mean well and they're like they're not the worst you know people to listen to their podcasts or watch their shows but it's just like that kind of uh that just that enduring patience that it's taught like from a father to a son or even from a mother to a daughter or even a father to a daughter for that matter i mean it's just important that it comes from a parental figure or an adult you know family members like my father he used to make me sit in the dark and sometimes he would wake me up in the middle of the night. Like I'm talking about when I was like 12, 13 years old, sometimes even younger, actually, thinking about it, like eight, you know, 
he'd, he'd wake me up at like three in the morning for no reason. Like I'm, I'm peacefully asleep and he would just wake me up and he would say like, well, this is part of your training. And I'd say like, well, like, what, what do you mean? It's part of my training. Like, what is this? I was asleep. Like I need to sleep too. And he's like, you can sleep later. Like you never know when you're going to have to wake up. You have to be prepared to wait. You can't be like one of these little babies who has got sand in his eyes. You know, like if something happens, you got to be ready to fight. So he taught me that like at a young age, it was just like, oh, you never know when you're going to get woken up. And it didn't like stress me out or anything. He wasn't cruel about it. It just, it would happen. And then I'd have to sit in the dark and listen to him talk for hours and hours. And I didn't really have the, um, I didn't really, it was, I wasn't there to talk. Like, I was there to listen. So I was, it, that taught me a lot of patience and it taught me a lot about um, just how to really listen to somebody when they're, when they're talking. So I had like a, you know, a lot of respect for elders and all that kind of stuff. And I just don't see that. I don't see that with um, this new generation. Not at all. And I'm so glad you brought that up because that's, <clears throat> I mean, I struggle with that with my uh, stepson who just turned 12 and I, and my five-year-old to an extent too, everything is instant gratification now. And, mm -hmm. you know, it's, it's really funny that you, your father would do stuff like that because my father was very similar and, you know, people would tell you like, oh, that he, he's paranoid, you know, this is crazy, you know, it, it's insane, that's borderline abusive, but I, I don't look at it like that. And, you know, it's mm -mm. like, I, um, for the longest, I, I'm starting to kind of relax a little bit now, but for the longest time, man, I mean, up to like two years ago, I would sleep with my shoes on sometimes, you know, mm -hmm. <laughs> that's just like how I was raised. It's like, because you never knew like my dad like we talked about he would go hunting and stuff so sometimes mm -hmm. he would wake us up at you know early in the morning <laughs> when you know he got a deer it's like just get up we got to go drag this deer out of the neighbor's yard or something and it's like everything was legal it's not like he but sometimes mm -hmm. you shoot an animal it runs onto the neighbor's property and you don't want to deal with a neighbor at five o'clock in the morning so it's like get up let's go <laughs> you just you got into that uh mentality and I, I i don't see anything wrong with teaching kids that and like especially with my like stepson you know he a lot of his schoolwork they're back in school but like they still do a lot of the stuff online and mm -hmm. it's frustrating because the work i mean is so dumbed down but you have to like sit and watch the whole video and as much as i like want to tell him yeah, I wish you could skip ahead and just answer the question. It's like, no, just listen to it. And it is all propaganda. So I have to do the deprogramming. But it's just interesting how they just have zero patience for anything mm -hmm. anymore. And it really is a, it's an interesting task as a parent now, like to teach patience. And it's something I'm working on too. Like just having that patience, like trying to do like some basic woodworking skills with them. And like, I had mm -hmm. my stepson whittled a, a stick the other day and just it's like he just wants to do it fast i'm like no take your time you know you got to do every single grit you got to clean it in between each one and yeah it, it's it's a challenge man it really is a challenge but i think talking about this kind of stuff and like just reminding people that it, it doesn't have to be this like instant gratification fast pace just non-stop go 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 it, it yeah and yeah prison could yeah, definitely it, do that to someone <laughs> for sure oh, yeah no it's it's interesting that you mentioned whittling because you know whittling is like it's supposed to be something that you relax you're not mm -hmm. supposed to 
rush through it. It's actually something you're supposed to kind of savor and kind of relish in and just kind of enjoy. Like you sit on the, por the porch with the rocking chair. I mean, I don't know what your whittling setup is, but you know, that's the kind of quintessential kind of just passing the time, you know, just shit talking and, and whittling. You know? Exactly, exactly. And we do uh, rock tumbling now too. And it's the same thing. Like you got to leave mm. those in there for like 10 days at a time. And he's like, every morning, hey, can I check the rocks? And I'm like, no, <laughs> no, you yep. can't. But yeah. no, it's an absence, you know, kind of uh, absence makes your heart grow fonder kind of thing. Like you saw the rocks go in. Now you got to wait for them to come back out and it'll be, it'll be better the more time that we wait, you know? Exactly. But yeah, no, the thing with the schooling, like, I don't know, I think I mentioned it that, you know, that I was homeschooled in the 80s and the 90s, you know, and that was like, it was how I look back at it, it just like, it would have been impossible. I, I shouldn't say impossible, but it would have been really difficult for me to have gone to public school, especially public school here in California, and then come home to my father who would be trying to, like you say, deprogram, it would be such a dichotomy. It was like, just, it wasn't really going to work. Now, luckily, luckily I had some base intelligence and was able to, you know, become autodidactic. basically, you know, I don't, I really started teaching myself everything probably around 13. Mm -hmm. And like I said, I had two younger brothers, so they needed to be kind of focused on what the, what the fundamentals. And I was kind of just left to teach myself and read and, and study and, and pursue anything that I wanted to. So, you know, but with, with my father, it was like everything that we're talking about now, like everything that these other podcasters are talking about, that was like part of my education was learning about, you know, just, I wouldn't say conspiracy theories, just the, the, the true nature of reality. But then sprinkled in was this kind of, you know, esoteric occult kind of, you know, mysticism like way of looking at things because he was into that side of things as well and you know I remember like okay so it's kind of embarrassing but you know you remember that Blair Witch Project mm -hmm. the first one the one that was you know shot on a camcorder yep so I fell for it I was like 15 I think when that came out and I, I fell for it everyone like fell I, for it don't feel bad I, about that like, I, 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 I kind of like, I kind of knew it was bullshit, but like part of me really wanted to believe in it, I guess. So I was like, kind of like mm -hmm. undecided, but leaning more towards, oh, maybe it happened. Maybe they found this footage. But now I think about it, it makes no sense because there's just a lot of things I learned about, you know, just the logistics of it didn't make any sense. So anyways, get to the point. I got in an argument with my older brother. Like he, he knew it was bullshit, but he's 14 years older than me, you know? So I was fighting with him, like literally arguing with him. And he was over, he was visiting. And uh, my father was like, what are you guys arguing about? You know, and we told him and he was like, don't dismiss the paranormal. Because my older brother was more of a skeptic. Like he didn't have an imagination. He was really like not into ghosts and goblins. And so my father, you know, was like, well, don't dismiss the paranormal, you know. And then so I showed him you know, the, like the trailer or something like it came on TV. I was like, that's it. That's the movie. Cause we didn't have YouTube, you know, there was no streaming. Like we could, so I just, I waited for the trailer to come on and he saw the trailer and he was like, uh, yeah, that's, that's probably bullshit. But, <laughs> but, <laughs> but he didn't want me to not believe in the paranormal. Like he didn't want me to, like, he didn't want me to 
be like ruined by that. Like he didn't want that to ruin my, you know, my faith in the paranormal because he was, you know, big into all that. And um, so then we got to talking and while he was away, while he was in prison, you know, so I was like five, like he left when I was like a little older than three. And then he was gone until I was like seven. So somewhere like around when I was about five years old, I had this really distinct memory of going into the kitchen, kind of peeking into the kitchen. And there was this really tall guy. It was like a shadowy figure. And this kind of goes into that, you know, man with the tall hat thing that people, this kind of phenomenon people have seen. But I saw him. I saw him when I was five years old and he was standing in the kitchen and I was like scared. I was like, who's this really tall guy? And it was a really, it was a really weird time of the day. It was like that time when the sun, uh, I guess you call it like not twilight, but you know, like when it's still dark, but you can kind of see just like the little mm -hmm. faintest glimpse of the sunrise. So it's a very ethereal time. Like it's like, it's kind of phantasmagorical in itself, that, that kind of period. So it was still dark, but it was kind of light. And I saw the man with the tall hat. And um, I know I saw him because I know it wasn't a dream or anything because like I stubbed my toe. I remember I stubbed my toe and then I was like, ah, oh. but I was like trying to be quiet, you know, cause I thought like this was like kind of scary. And then he like kind of turned around and then he kind of like um, kind of dissipated, you mm -hmm. know? And then I told my mom the next day, I was like, there was a really tall guy in the kitchen you know, and he like disappeared when he heard me. And she was like, oh, you know, blah, 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 you know, imagination, you know, she just like dismissed it. And then I saw him, you know, a couple more times, like just kind of creeping around, not as vivid as that time, mm -hmm. but the house, that, the house I lived in was built in 1916. Okay. And the, the interesting thing about my house is it was part of a neighborhood that was um, designed by one of the main guys from Bohemian Grove. Oh, yeah, it was, it was, yeah, it has, a, has that connection. Like the neighborhood that I lived in was uh, part of like a, a project that was uh, funded by the Bohemian Grove. Now, I'm not saying there's anything to do with that. It's just an extra kind of little tidbit. Mm -hmm. But yeah, it was, it was a really old house and I don't live there anymore, but it was, it was really spooky. It was a really spooky old house and um, that's the house I grew up in. But yeah, the tall man, I see him. It's funny because um, I'm in California. I'm on the peninsula, Silicon Valley kind of area. Mm -hmm. And there's this uh, mountainous region. It's part of the Santa Cruz Mountains. And it's in between Silicon Valley and the Pacific Ocean. And there's uh, some communities out there. And um, uh, La Honda, Sky Londa, um, Lindemar, no, Loma Mar. Uh, Woodside is another town. Anyways, everybody that lives out there has seen the shadow people on one of the highways. And it's like, it's like an urban legend kind of thing. Like everybody's seen them. And it's like people will drive out there in the middle of the night looking for them. Like that's how notorious the, the shadow people are in this area. And that was an old logging town. Like that's where all the redwoods came from to build the Bay Area, like the old growth when the people came in the you know late 1700s, early 1800s. So that place is just notoriously haunted. I mean, there's like so many stories about lumberjacks and gold miners and you know all this stuff. And there's still some old buildings out there. 
But the other interesting phenomena about the, the shadow people and the connection to that is there's a heavy use of methamphetamines. And I don't know if you've ever researched the phenomena between the connection of people who do a lot of methamphetamines and seeing the shadow people. I haven't, I haven't looked too deep into it, but I've heard stories, you know, I mean, mm -hmm. I believe certain drugs are connected with certain entities as wild as that might sound. Um, mm -hmm. But they don't call alcohol spirits for, for no reason, you know what I mean? And it's like, oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. And, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's interesting. So I, I'll have you go into it a little bit more, but that makes a lot of sense to me. But I was going to say, too, is the hat man is a phenomena throughout the whole country. And mm -hmm. what's interesting is like New York, you know, there's sightings, Pennsylvania. And I wonder if there is like this old world connection there, like in, you know, places that might have been found dead. You know what I mean? Or uh, places that were in the old, you know, stuff that was not really built when they say it was built. You know, is it almost like mm -hmm. a lingering spirit that stays there or a memory or, or who knows? And you said your guy was huge. I mean, does that go into like the giants and things like that? Like, it's very interesting. So <laughs> I'm not going to cut you oh, off. Yeah, he was. No, it's OK. He was like, but he was. Yeah, he was probably about seven feet tall. The shadow, the, the apparition. And then with the hat, you know, add a few more inches, you know, add another six to eight inches with the, with the hat because it was like that tall you know uh almost like a pilgrim hat but a little bit taller than a pilgrim hat you know and uh but yeah with the thing with methamphetamine and the shadow people you know people say well it's because they stay up late and it's like well no because the shadow people aren't reported with people who have insomnia so right. if it was a if it was a sleep deprivation issue then people that take other you know uh, like people that take cocaine don't see them you know, mm -hmm. people who have insomnia, people who drink too much coffee, people who, you know, for whatever reason are just up a lot because of their job or something like that. They're sleep deprived, you know, like pilots or train conductors. Um, but no, the methamphetamine connection from what I've seen, if you want to go down that road, is that, yeah, certain compounds, um, I guess, invite certain kinds of spirits. So some people believe, strongly believe that methamphetamine is like the worst drug on the planet like it's worse than heroin it's worse i guess it's debatable with alcohol because alcohol leads to you know dui crashes i mean alcohol is kind of like the worst i guess legal drug but when it comes to illicit drugs methamphetamine is regarded as the most dangerous and so it's some people's belief that when you smoke it or when you you mainline it you know you get a, a bigger charge than when you snort it but the, the belief is that, yeah, it's like, it's like a demon drug and it can make you hallucinate, not just from the, the lack of sleep, but also just the high it gives you. It gives you this like insane, you know, I've never personally done crystal meth, but I've, you know, taken, you know, caffeine pills and, and, and upper diet pills and stuff like that. Like I don't really, you know, have any shame. I don't, I don't anymore, but, you know, about 16, 17 years ago, I would take, you know, supplements to exercise and stuff like that, but nothing illegal. But yeah, to get to the more paranormal aspect of it. Yeah, I do believe that drugs lower your vibrational level. And when you lower your vibrational level, you do invite certain uh, demonic or 
possibly, you know, you, you could say that maybe even malevolent, I guess would be the right word, you know, just harmful uh, entities. And people who do methamphetamine have some very interesting stories. And, you know, they say, oh, that's just the drug and all that stuff. But, you know, I'm from the school of thought that um, schizophrenia and other um, mental ailments, you know, can be cured through spiritual alignment. In other words, I do believe that people are infected with uh, negative energy. Oh, 100%. And mm -hmm. I'll just cut you off real quick. Sorry. Okay. But um, um, I know Adderall isn't technically like a methamphetamine, but I was taking Adderall for a while, especially when I was working on a couple different landscape crews. And it does, man, it lower, you're more productive for sure. You're up longer, you grind your teeth a lot, but like, yeah, it, it definitely has an effect on your, whether you want to say your chakra system or just your frequency, but it, it does, my thoughts were much more negative. I'll, I'll just say that, you know, and I don't mm -hmm. take them anymore. I haven't taken them in four years now, but it's just like, for sure. I mean, I know, I, I don't know the exact chemical compound, but I know it's not too far off from <laughs> some meth, you know? Oh yeah, and Adder and Adderall is just a kind of an improved Ritalin. Mm -hmm. And I knew a I knew a boy. He was uh, the son of my mom's friend, and he was taking Ritalin back in the mid '80s when it was first being prescribed to uh, to kids from my generation, our generation. Mm -hmm. And um, he'd take these little pills, you know. And uh, I thought they were like candy. I was like, oh, you you know, like what kind of candy is that, you know? And he's like, oh, it's not candy, it's it's medicine. And I was like, oh, that's weird. Cause I didn't take any, like I was, I didn't, you know, full disclosure, I wasn't even like fully vaccinated when I was a kid. Like mm -hmm. I didn't get uh, any immunizations from measles, small, any of that stuff, but that's that's a side issue. Anyways, so uh, he, like he grew up in, in the town that I grew up in, he ended up getting a job at the grocery store and all. He went bald when he was 17. Like from all the from all the Ritalin, dude. That I, I was suffering from the same thing. I was losing my hair, and um, once I quit, like I mean, now I have a full head of hair. If you watch any of my Instagram videos, my hair is getting pretty long. But it's like that has a, I don't know if it's blocking testosterone. I don't know what it does, but that is a legit side effect from that stuff. Because, mm -hmm. uh, and and my brother too. I don't know if he's personally taking that stuff, but he's. 27 years old he's basically fully bald now it's like mm -hmm. i don't know it could be a genetic thing but that is an interesting thing i did notice about my personal and the weight loss oh, yeah. too is insane you know mm -hmm. i lost like 30 pounds it was like it was disgusting but <laughs> no and I'll, I'll take it a step further and i'll say okay so we have we have this physiological explanation we have this pharmaceutical uh, explanation for that and say, oh, well, this, you know, that, and that. We, we've heard it all before, but I'll take it a step further. And I'll say, if you go back in the ages before those kinds of drugs even existed, you saw ailments, you saw mental ailments where people would compulsively rip out their hair or they, there was something wrong with them. They were like, they were sickly. They were seen as, you know, less than the epitome of health, but they were also suffering from what we would now Call schizophrenia, and they say, "Oh, it was, uh, you know, demons or this or that." So we've gotten rid of that. Like we've said, okay, you know, that's all nonsense. Modern medicine doesn't 
entertain the idea of demonic possession or, or, or succubuses or incubuses or anything like that. But then we look at the modern drugs and they produce the same side effects as those uh, demonic possessions. And, and so it's like, we've, how are they being, how are they acting like that? And then people say, well, schizophrenia has always existed, paranoia, delusions, you know, all that stuff's always existed. It's a chemical imbalance in the brain, you know? <clears throat> and it's like, so we're gonna take a perfectly healthy kid because he is a little antsy, you know, in school and doesn't wanna pay attention. He wants to go out and play. He's always staring out the window, whatever their excuses. Because you know, you remember when that HD or ADHD was overprescribed or overdiagnosed, and then they were overprescribing prescription drugs, and they've kind of supposedly chilled out on that a little bit because a lot of people just outcry about it. But it's they, just really they haven't though. They haven't. I mean, my oh. stepson was on a few uh, things for a little while. He's off now, mm -hmm. thankfully. But they oh, okay. they haven't, and they hand that shit out like it's like it's candy. But um. Oh, I I'm sorry. I was under the impression. I was under the impression that they might have like kind of uh, chilled out a little bit. I think they might have a little bit, but like uh, with my stepson in particular, man, it was like they said he has ADHD, and they're they're giving us a list of shit to give him. It's like here we can put him on this. We can put him on this. We can try this one. This one's good for anxiety too. And it's like it's just pure insanity. But I was gonna say that all kind of goes back to like. Um, the word magic to an extent like mm -hmm. pharmacopoeia that is mm -hmm. sorcery, sorcery you know yeah they're sorcerers mm -hmm. yeah, that's the that's the funny thing is we've gone through this thing like okay so you talk to a you talk to a scientist whatever that means it's kind of a you know, it's a very broad term these days anybody mm -hmm. but you talk to uh, specifically you talk to a chemist and they'll say oh um you know if they're into the history of their profession they'll they'll admit they'll say well alchemy was like the, the predecessor. Alchemy was the, the proto-chemistry, like because there's so many similarities between alchemy and chemistry, right? I mean, you know, or metallurgy, you know. Uh, so, okay. So then we have this, this thing where they say, okay, well, witch doctors and warlocks and witches and brujos and shamans, they're all like, they're gone. And anybody that says that they're one is a charlatan is a new age, you know, uh, uh, what's that called? A Huxler, you know, they're like a, a con man. Snake oil salesman. <laughs> Snake oil salesman, exactly. You know, mm -hmm. just a scammer. Okay, even though like there's like proof that it does help certain people with their problems and so on and so forth. Uh, but nonetheless, they're like in direct competition with, with modern medicine. So they're, you know, it's regarded as quackery. That's the other one they like to, to, to say, oh, it's quackery. And I, I think there's some quackery, like, like, chiropractic like chiropractors it's a cult you know look mm -hmm. into that you know the whole thing's like mumbo jumbo but anyways um and a lot of people think it's like legitimate medicine it's not but anyways so what you mentioned with the pharmaco or the pharmacopoeia mm -hmm. is well they just got replaced and they just got more advanced but what they're doing is alchemy when they take their compounds and they take their synthesized um you know, proteins and all, and they make prescription drugs. That's, that's alchemy. Those 100%. things that people, it's their magic potions. They're literally, and they're like, oh, it's not magic. There's, you know, it's like, no, you're okay. Lithium, lithium is a really good example because lithium is a naturally occurring metal, you know, and we, we dose it down and we give it to people. 
but you probably know this, you have to take a blood test before prescribed uh, lithium because yeah. they have to determine what is already in your system. We already have lithium in our bodies. It's, it's a naturally occurring element mm -hmm. in our bodies. You know, so then they go, well, you take this and then you'll like, you'll be okay. And, you know, I, I know there's some people that benefit from that crap, but everybody that I've ever known that's been prescribed lithium, Zoloft, Paxil, Prozac, Effexor, um, which is actually just an enhancer. It doesn't actually, it actually just makes the, the prescription drugs that you're already taking work better. Um, any of that stuff, they're, it, it all made them worse, you know? 100. And then it's like, yeah. It leads to depression. I mean, lithium in particular leads to weight gain. It, it, there's so many different, <clears throat> it's like pick your poison, you know, are you going to just <laughs> make yourself worse? But yeah. And like you said, it does, I think it can benefit people in the temporary, you know, like if you need a quick fix, obviously that's what it's meant for, but long-term mm -hmm. none of this shit works and, and oh, you no, don't have I, the history. I, I... To prove it well. uh, uh, yeah I, i'll agree with that to, to a certain extent because i have a little bit of uh not personal experience but you know with my father mm -hmm. he was uh he was given uh antipsychotics but he only took um he was given because he was like a he was a really violent and he was big and strong and he was a weightlifter and all that stuff he ate a lot of red raw red meat and uh, drank a lot of uh, raw milk and stuff like that so he had a lot of a lot of energy when he was in his late 20s early 30s but anyways, he was given um, he was given uh, Depakote uh, for a short time, and he was given Howadol. And I don't know if you're familiar with Howadol, but Howadol is a fear-inducing drug. Okay. Uh, it literally makes you scared. So they give it to people who are violent uh, to calm them down. And then there's the uh, I always forget the name of it, but it's one that was a uh, it's pretty popular with junkies. Uh, it used to be, uh, the hell is it called? It was like quad. We used to actually keep them in the house. My dad had some, in case anybody had like an anxiety attack. It was kind of like, it was the old version of, um, well, not Valium, but uh, what's the one that everybody, all the kids are taking now? That Clonopin? It's a clon yeah, it's a Clonopin, but it was mm -hmm. a, um, yeah, it was like that, but it was, uh, it was like a early version of, uh, Xanax. Okay. It was like a, it was like a Xanax. So he would keep those around, you know, and I remember my uncle took one one time because my brother had a twin. Uh, my uncle was my father's twin and mm -hmm. he was having a really bad anxiety attack one time. And he took one of these, uh, these uh, quad something, uh, they were a clonopin type drug in that family. Mm -hmm. So I, I, you know, and like obviously Narcan works for, for when you're having an opiate overdose, you know, and that's a prescription drug technically. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, I'm not saying like all medicines, like, you know, inherently evil, but I was going to take it a step further with the superstitions is like, you go back in time and you'd have, you know, the witch doctors and the shamans and the pagans, and they'd have these magic potions and the Christians would say, oh, you don't do that. You just pray. And I do believe in the power of prayer. And I do believe in the power of atonement. I do believe in the power of um of reflection and meditation uh completely narcotic free you know all you gotta do is just relax and think or go for a walk or something like that get some oxygen flowing and i think that that can be a quick fix so just to you know tie it back to the 
the quote unquote old world or whatever you want to call it, the ancient the ancient days, is you had people saying the same things that we were saying, except they were saying it about the alchemist potions or the witch doctor's potions, the, the, the more you know, holy people. Um, they were like, no, you, you don't you don't take their stuff. Like you just you 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 don't do that. So what we see now with the modern anti-pharmaceutical movement, the anti-big farm, the pro-holistic, the pro-natural uh, medicine, we see them saying the same thing. We saying don't go to their, don't go to their temples. So their temple mm -hmm. would be like the county hospital. Yep. You know, like don't go there. Don't take. The, you go to these. And so it's like a reversal. But the interesting thing is, is that you do actually see a lot of Christians who, ironically, are going back to the old ways. They're saying like, you know, there are a lot of um, a lot of religious people are getting into what was essential oils and yeah, 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 yeah exactly. It, it's it's really funny because it's like a what they call that a changing uh, paradigm or that you know, mm -hmm. and it's true because the people of faith they see the secular world, you know, just totally involved with the. Um, and we don't even have to talk about that cold that's been going around for a couple of years. I mean, that's like a separate issue. Mm -hmm. But you see this thing was brewing before that where people were like, well, I don't want to take that. I want to take this. Like I had, uh, when I was a lot younger, I had a girlfriend and she had asthma. And if she would smoke that, that molin, do you know about that? Uh, it's like a root or it's like some plant. It's called molin. No, and I haven't heard of it. Yeah, it's one of the, it's really interesting plant. It's one of the only things that you can smoke that'll actually make your bronchial tubes better. Interesting. And yeah, it's got like some properties in it. And so she used to go to this Chinese doctor and he would like give her these pills or sell her these pills. They were really expensive, but it would work. But her insurance didn't cover it. So she always had to go back to the steroids and the mm -hmm. albuterols and the, uh, uh, was it prednisone? It was prednisone, like yep, yep. You know, and it didn't really do anything for her. And we split up a long time ago. And, you know, she, I last I heard, you know, she was just getting worse and worse and worse. And that was years ago. So I can only imagine what kind of shape her lungs and stuff are in now because she kept taking that, that modern medicine. And I just, you know, it really begs the question of like, how did people get by without this stuff? And then people say they didn't. And that's like to scare you into you know going along with the new program and it's like but you read books and you you study you know historical biographies of famous people from you know millennia ago and they lived to be 70 years old like i think it was one of the was it plato or, or socrates one of those guys before they killed themselves but they were pretty old and a lot of those greek guys like pythagoras and so they lived their their life expectancy in ancient greece wasn't really any lower than, than current day no. America. No, and, and that's, it's funny you brought up the prednisone too, because my, my son, my, he's five now, but he mm -hmm. gets croup every year, the croup cough, oh, and, and yeah. they'll, they'll prescribe prednisone. And honestly, he gets it in the winter time. If I take him outside and just let him breathe some cold air for about 10 minutes, it does the same thing. It's like, yeah. it, it's just, it's absolutely amazing. And then he always ends up developing like either strep throat if he takes the prednisone or he'll uh get like not so much i guess like a bronchitis from it and it's just like mm -hmm. 
he gets the same benefit from going outside in the cold or I'll turn the shower up high, let it steam up in there and have him sit mm-hmm. in there and we'll do a mini like sweat lodge. And it, mm-hmm. it works the exact same way. And you know, it, it's one of those things where it's like, you, they'll almost like guilt you into it. It's like, uh, and then they, you know, try to, there's, you know, organizations and entities that can uh, get involved if you don't give your kids certain medicines. And it's like, they have you trapped. So there is no like medical freedom. It's all, and like you said too, they don't, uh, insurance won't cover anything holistic. My wife goes to a naturopathic doctor and it's almost like $500 a visit. It's insanity. Yeah, it's and you think insanity. about you think about medical choice and we're, we're paying for all this stuff. Like it wouldn't be any more expensive for them to subsidize visits to holistic doctors instead of their doctors. But it's this club and you're not, you know, if you're, if your doctor's not in it, then you're ass out. And that's, you know, that's got to change. Like they talk about all this, you know, we got to change this and we got to, you know, we got to go green and we got to do, you know, all this crap, all these social issues. And it's like, what about this lingering issue, this kind of big elephant in the room where people can't go to natural doctors and have it covered by their insurance. It just it just doesn't make any sense because they're um, they're pharmaceutical reps, and a naturopathic doctor isn't going to prescribe you big pharma's potions. You know, I know. It's like it's it's, a, it's, it's, it's like people are going to wake up because it's it's really it's a bipartisan issue because it doesn't have anything to do with identity politics or ideologies. I mean, it's a simple case of what is best for you. Mm-hmm. You know, like I had. Uh, like 10 years, maybe it's it's closer to 12 years ago now, I had this like knot on the back of my neck, like kind of right below my, uh, the base of my skull, I guess, kind of behind my ear. Mm-hmm. And it was bothering me because I felt it. So what the hell was that? You know, I was like all freaked out, you know? And uh, long story short, it was because I was, you know, I had my head tilted up, I had the wrong kind of computer chair. And I had, I went, to a Chinese doctor and he put his like laser, he had this like cold laser and a hot laser and did kind of like a little acupressure, not acupuncture, he didn't use any needles, but he like massaged it and it went away. And I only had to pay him like, I don't know, like probably after all was all said and done, because I think I went twice, it was like a couple hundred bucks, but he was, he was really reasonable, you know? Mm-hmm. And uh, I said, I can only imagine what would have happened if I had gone to a hospital you know, they would have wanted to give me x-rays and they probably would have, you know, wanted to fucking poke it and take a thing out, you know, and it's just like, all it was, was my neck was, you know, it was like, I had like, not a stiff neck, but I had created, he said that it was like off by like a few centimeters, you know, like two centimeters or three centimeters. It was like a little, and it had created this little, this little knot, mm-hmm. you know, and I can just, I mean, I can just only imagine what would have happened if I had gone to, uh, you know, what you call it? I don't know. Uh, yeah, the mainstream doctors, they probably would have yeah. prescribed something, maybe done surgery, screwed your neck up, then you'd be hooked on <laughs> opiates. And it's like, mm-hmm. then you're in yeah, the system. It, it, it's crazy, you know, and it's just like, I know things happen and I'm not disputing that. Like, it, sometimes you got to go to the damn hospital, you know, just things happen. Yeah. you know uh like uh car accidents or something. you know i mean oh, yeah. yeah it's just 
But this thing about going to these witch doctors, because that's all they really are. It's just, it never ended. I guess that's what I was trying to say earlier is the practice of witchcraft and sorcery and potion making and all that stuff. It didn't really ever stop. It just got more evolved. Mm-hmm. You know, they just got better and better and better at it. But instead of sticking to the old ways, they said, hey, we'll make a lot more money if we synthesize this stuff. Yeah. You know, it's like, um, like MDMA. You know, it's, it's not the same as ecstasy. Ecstasy is like a, a less pure version, but it's like MDMA comes from sassafras and mm-hmm. sassafras comes from the tree and that's primarily harvested in Southeast Asia. Well, think about back in the old days, back in the, uh, the wild west, what did guys drink at the saloon? <laughs> sarsaparilla. Yep. Fucking sarsaparilla used to have sassafras. Now, when you go to the, you know, the candy store or the, you know, you find a place that has, you know, quote unquote, you know, uh, sarsaparilla, it doesn't have sassafras in it because right. you would you'd get loaded. So that's one example. Another example is aspirin. You know, aspirin comes from trees. Like I forget yep. which one, but the bark. Okay. But that when you go and you get bear, you go and get Tylenol, that's a synthetic version. That's a pseudomethanol. You know, it's not coming from tree bark, but you can get the tree bark stuff, but you got to go to like, I don't know, you got to go to like Whole Foods or, you know, some kind of hippie kind of, you know, co-op thing. Yep. Uh, yeah. I used yeah. to, when I would get like a throat thing, like a strep throat kind of thing, or like a sore throat, I used to drink uh, tea that had slippery elm bark. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know if you ever heard of, heard of slippery elm bark, but that worked. You know, yeah. and it tasted pretty good, you know, and then we have the, uh, the benefits that elderberry has on the immune system. Um, you know, people swear by elderberry juice and. Oh yeah. Know, I, I take elderberry uh, uh, extracts and stuff like that. Yeah. I take mm-hmm. it. I take it, uh, yeah. elderberry with zinc lozenges. Um, the other thing I do too is, uh, for like any sore throat or post-nasal drip, I make a tea it's ginger, cinnamon, and clove. You boil it mm-hmm. and you drink it. And it's like, I use raw cinnamon sticks, whole cloves and fresh ginger. And I mean, again, is that witchcraft? Maybe. Is it like potion making? Perhaps, but it's using natural products and it takes care of the problem. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to drink NyQuil because I have a sore throat. <laughs> yeah. yeah, no, it's not. It's not that, that kind of stuff's not witchcraft because it's not being, it's not being imbued right like when people like make potions they imbued it like they put a hex on it mm-hmm. you know and you know we could go into all that but um the point is is that you know when people look back at the uh plague the black plague you know in the 1300s going into the 1400s um they found some manuscripts uh, i guess it was about i mean they could have found them earlier but i heard about it that they had uh, found some manuscripts in like 2014 uh, from Italy or Germany, somewhere like that. And it was a cure for the Black Plague. So they were interested in it. And so they kind of uh, reverse engineered it and then, you know, tested it out on some, you know, supposedly live viruses or something. And it worked. And what it was what primarily what it was composed of, like the main ingredient was garlic. It was, it was a lot of garlic, clove, um, some, uh, I want to say like rosemary, just all natural stuff. And it was like cooked and 
you know, concentrated and boiled down and hardened and scraped. And they had this whole process. It was like a kind of an arduous process to make, but it, the manuscript, the way that it read, it was like, this is what will help people who have the quote unquote plague. Mm-hmm. So I found, I found that very interesting. And then yeah. we see that we see that with modern medicine. Like that's actually one of the things that they're really, you know, famous for is taking really old uh, remedies, really old recipes for natural, you know, uh, you know, cures, and then they synthesize it. You know, they take it and then they they adulterate it and they 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 they, they use chemicals instead because it's a higher profit margin. Right. And that goes back to what we were talking about earlier. It's all that instant gratification. No one wants to sit there and, you know, boil down a, a piece of rosemary to get the essential oil out of it and, mm-hmm. and drip that on their tongue or whatever. Like it's just, it's cheaper, faster. And there is that benefit that it will not really cure you. It'll just cure you enough to where you'll come back. You know, mm-hmm. it's, no, that's, yeah, it's, it's, it's really, that's the whole thing with, um, because I know some of your listeners, you know, uh, might be interested in how this would tie into, you know, lost history and all that. So we have no idea what we are missing out on as far as natural remedies. Like we have some things that work, but it would have been interesting if we as a society, as a as Western civilization, would have really focused on those things more and not let it become so corrupted. Because it's one thing to do it. But the way that they, they, they profit higher than any industry, the medical industry is a complete travesty. You know, I mean, you could say the same thing about, you know, you have to take your car to the mechanic and you're like, oh, like I fucked me down at the auto body shop, but it's not even close to the profit. It's like those drugs like are so cheap to make, like what they're actually made out of. And they go, well, the reason they're so expensive is because we have to pay for the research because we had to pay these research chemists to make it. And that's what you're paying for. You're paying for their salaries because they had to spend five years to make it, the, the clinical uh, tests and the trials and all stuff. But they, they'll admit that the actual ingredients, once they get things up and running at the factory, those pills are less than a penny. Of course. I mean, and that's why generic brand, you know, I, I'm not promoting pharmaceuticals, but like, mm-hmm you can buy a generic brand that costs close to nothing. When I was on Adderall, I didn't buy Adderall because that was like $95 a bottle or something ridiculous. I'd get the, the store brand, the knockoff shit. <laughs> and it worked exactly the same, but it's yeah. Well, but that's what they do. That's what they do. And they rinse and they rinse and repeat. They come up with a brand name that they have a patent on. They yep. push that. Then when the patent runs out, they go to generic and then you would think, okay, well, now everything's no. Because then they come up with another one and then they start pushing that one instead and the cycle continues and there's generic, but they always push. And it's just, it's like, you know, you're trying to save some money and you go to the bar, you go whatever, I don't drink, but you you go to the bar and, uh, you know, you're like, well, give me the cheapest beer. Give me the generic beer. You know, give me the one that on the can, it just says beer. And they're like, no, no, you got to try Von Heckelstein's triple stout, you know, or you got to try this uh, microbrewery IPA. It's, you know, got a lizard on the can. It's really cool. Mm -hmm. You know, and you see that it's like people will gravitate towards a a brand. 
Oh, for sure. I mean, I don't drink anymore either. I quit five years ago, which, mm-hmm. and it's amazing how much extra money I have in my pocket <laughs> since quit, mm-hmm. I quit drinking. But yeah, it's, everything is like brand loyalty. It's all, I mean, that goes into every aspect of like, what does a pair of Nikes cost to make a couple dollars? And then they sell them for $600 for a new pair of Yeezys or whatever the hell they're called now. It's like, I don't know, man. It's just, everything is twisted and corrupted and it's really disgusting. Like I haven't bought new clothes in probably close to 10 years now. It's just like, and I'm not like, I'm not sitting there bragging, but it's just like, Mm -hmm. you get to a point in life where you're like, you realize it doesn't matter. And and that's, that's why they got to hook these kids while they're young. That's why they're pushing pharmaceuticals on kids. That's why they're pushing everything on the children, you know? Oh, absolutely. You know, you gotta, you gotta teach them young and I'm, I'm not an anti-materialistic person, but I like to buy things that are going to last. And I like to spend the extra money to buy things that, you know, are a little higher quality instead of having to go along with this disposable consumer culture of, you know, fast fashion and, you know, mm-hmm. just, you know, throw in with the, out, out with the old in with the new. I buy, when it comes to clothes, I buy things that are, I try to buy things that are timeless that I'm yeah. going to want to wear 20 years, you know, whatever, or I can, you know, hold on to and maybe, you know, sell or something like that in the future because it's actually quality stuff. But, you know, people are probably, you know, maybe somebody's listening to this and they're like, where are these guys going? This is kind of mundane shit. And, you know, you're right, but that's kind of the point is we as a society have got to this point where there's so much to talk about, but it's all interconnected within our, you know, personal experiences. Like I wouldn't necessarily be the person that I was if I wasn't exposed to a certain amount of the shit that I don't even approve of anymore. Like you've got to study your enemy, you know, and there's people that are very sheltered and they cannot, um, like people that are like grew up in families that are very like hardline you know, holistic, hardline, organic food, hardline, no TV, you know, very strict about talking on the telephone or having any electronic, like almost like kind of knockoff Amish, yep. you know, kind of like, um, used to see a lot of those with liberals, like in the eighties and nineties, there was a lot of liberals who like, they only like listened to NPR and they didn't like let their kids watch, you know, any kind of like naughty, uh, PG 13, you know, they were kind of like, they were liberal minded, but they were very anti, um, corporatism yeah an establishment and it's it's so mm-hmm. funny too like the reversal of that now it's oh, like yeah a couple yeah, of years a ago other thing right right mm-hmm. you know now now people that want to you know grow their own gardens are freaking right-wing lunatics yeah. <laughs> <It's> like... <laughs> but they've been but they've been through the ringer and they've seen both sides of the coin and they're like okay i'm gonna pick i'm gonna pick now like a lot of people my age you know people in their 30s they've they've lived both sides and they're like okay like i'm gonna break away from this because i don't like the way this is going anymore in other words like they're they're quitting the club you know they're like okay well you know things change and everything and i was okay with this and i was okay with that but i'm kind of breaking away and luckily the way that i was raised i was always kind of on my own i was always kind of the black sheep i was always kind of the the lone wolf or whatever but people liked me enough to you know i had a social life and that's what I'm trying to say is, you know, kids that are raised very sheltered, it's fine if they never have to leave that bubble, but how are they supposed to function in the real world when they don't know how to relate to other people? They become kind of like hermits or they become like shut-ins, you know, because their parents are so right. worried about them getting corrupted. 
but they lose out on that experience of seeing it for what it is and then coming to their own conclusion. You know, because you can only shelter a kid for so long. The better thing to do is say, hey, you know what? Go out there, see it for what it is, but kind of instill in them to be very critical and judgmental. Like I was an extremely judgmental like kid and people say, oh, that's a negative trait. It's not really a negative trait because what it does is it teaches discernment. It teaches how to gauge things instead of just blindly going along with the crowd. A hundred percent. I was just going to say it's discernment. Mm -hmm. And like, that's what I'm really just trying to instill in my boys is just like question everything. You know, Mm -hmm. I, I try not, we did the whole like no TV thing over the summer and that was more just to keep them outside and playing and stuff. Mm-hmm. But, mm-hmm. you know, in the wintertime, there's not a lot to do in upstate New York. So we got the no, TV I mean, back up, but you just got to monitor it, make sure they're not watching absolute dog shit on there. And yeah. it is what it is, but you, you can't, you can't shelter them a hundred percent. Cause like you said, then you get weirdos. Then you get the, like we talked about in the last episode, these like, people that just cannot adapt to anything that the snowflakes or whatever you want to call them, you know, it's, Mm -hmm. so yeah, it's, it's a, it's a balancing act being a parent and it's, it's fun, but yeah, it's just, you got to teach the kids to question everything. Like, yeah, no, uh, I was on the, uh, what's that? I was just going to say like my, uh, my son's in preschool and he's in a, a private Catholic school right now. And we're on the fence if we're going to homeschool him or not the little one. And, mm-hmm. you know, I I'm all for it. My wife, it, it's, it's in the air, but like mm-hmm. the, the teachers, I don't think they like me very much because mm-hmm. like the kid questions everything. Like he's, they're teaching these kids climate change now in, mm-hmm. in preschool. So it, it goes right to the beginning. I mean, he's learning about polar bears and like he's he's a bold little kid he'll just be like well my dad said <laughs> this is basically bullshit and like mm-hmm. uh, so uh, i don't know i mean i don't like to start trouble but it's at the same time too i'm teaching him don't just listen to these teachers these i, I was mm-hmm. a teacher you know i know the indoctrination i know what they're trained to do and they break these teachers down so they don't question anything anymore it's no absolutely you know and i, I that's the thing with uh this modern uh, schooling with the, the whole Zoom thing. And, you know, I know that a lot of these teachers don't want to go back to in-person learning because they got really used to just being able to just lounge around the house, you know, pop into a Zoom class and then they got the rest and they still get the same salary mm-hmm. and they don't have to drive. They don't have to doll themselves up and talking about the female teachers. And I mean, obviously like the male teachers, you know, they shave and, you know, put on a clean pair of clothes and all that stuff. But for some reason, I, I kind of single out the women. I don't know if I'm like sexist or, or not, but I, I just I tend to think of um, it from a woman's perspective of a single motherless teacher, you know, woman who has the rest of the day to just be an independent woman. And all she's got to do is just jump on a Zoom call and, you know, indoctrinate some kids for a couple hours and then, hey, I'm done. Right. And, and the thing is, too, a lot of them, the shit's like pre-recorded when i was teaching back in like 2014 2015 wow. they were already doing that like distant learning stuff in the classroom so there'd be one teacher teaching a class to three different schools so all these sh- things were recorded so a lot of these people already had recorded material so when mm-hmm. this pandemic hit or whatever you want to call it um mm-hmm. 
they already had their shit ready to go. So some of them didn't even log on. They would just put a video on and it's, and I I saw something too that, um, and again, this might sound sexist, but it was like, it was, it was a meme talking about toxic masculinity. And it Mm -hmm. said, you know, 50% or 43%, whatever it is of uh, households are single mothers and 70% of teachers are, are female. So Mm -hmm. a kid is getting at least minimum 50% of his information is coming from females. So it's like, is this really toxic masculinity or is this like, hmm. like what yeah, is this? That's an, interesting, that's an interesting point there. Yeah. And then you break it down even further and then you'd have what, whatever percentage of that, of those females would be single mm-hmm. or, or unmarried or motherless. So it's kind of interesting that children would be taught primarily by motherless or, or childless um, single women. Right. And then we look at, and then we look at what their primary influences, which would be like E entertainment network, mm-hmm. uh, box wine culture, cats, mm-hmm. house, house plants, uh, whatever the, current equivalent to Oprah Winfrey is, which would guys be like Chelsea Handler or The View, you know, whatever these like kind of like single type 20 something, early 30 something women like gravitate towards. And then coupled with the curriculum that's handed down by the progressive, you know, board of education. It's it's like a soup of just pure chaos. It is. You know, it's just, it's like a diabolical you know, witch's cauldron being brewed and then disseminated. And it's like, yeah, it's, it's, it's like freaky shit. And, um, you know, it's like, what happened to like, just teaching kids the ABCs and like how to like write cursive, you know, right. and like some basic, basic geography. And like, you make like, um, I don't know what you guys did in upstate New York, but out here in California, we, uh, we made like macaroni uh, dioramas of the missions the Spanish missions, because it's like a big thing here in California. So like every kid that I knew made like um, macaroni uh, missions, like they made like churches out of, out of like dry macaroni. But maybe yeah. you guys had to, maybe you guys had to do like the Statue of Liberty or like. Um, no, we had to do yeah. like the Iroquois longhouses and yeah, all the different. Yeah. yeah. But like, it's same thing, you know, like it was mm-hmm. more hands-on stuff, but it's just yeah, man, it, it's it's absolutely insane to think about this. Um, I had something in my head and I totally lost it. It'll come back, but um, well, I had some I had something in my head and then I lost it and it just came back. So I got to say it. All right. So all what right. I was going to say was I was I was on the uh, Great Deception podcast with Matt, mm-hmm. and uh, they had a guest. I was a guest, and then there was another guest. His name was uh, I think he goes by Red Pill Cartel. On oh Instagram. yeah, Davey. Yep. Um, yeah, up up there in Toronto. Mm-hmm. and they were talking about concerts and you know this and like we, we were kind of talking about like the history of uh, occultism and and rock and roll and, and heavy metal and stuff like that and I, I told them I said look I said I'm not bringing my daughter to any of those places when she's old enough like I don't care what the state of you know whether you have to have baseball cards to get in or you have to have you know your rooster shots or, or any of that stuff like I'm just like I'm not taking her to go and see, you know, bands from the eighties and seventies, if they're still around, like still kicking somehow. Like, I was like, I'm not going to, one of the key points I told them, as I said, I'm not going to make my daughter 
like or appreciate or even listen to certain music because daddy liked it when he was a teenager. Mm -hmm. She's like pure and innocent and she doesn't know anything about the world and how like, like evil it is. I want to focus on like how beautiful it is. So, I mean, what she ends up doing when she's old enough to figure all this stuff out on her own is what she wants. But as far as like taking her to see live, like I want to take her to churches to hear like recitals and like Gregorian chants. And like, I, I'm really not interested in like showing her like Nirvana or the, the you know, the, the Metallica, any of that crap. Like, you know, yeah. I might listen to that shit like once in a while, like if I'm feeling nostalgic, but I'm definitely not a fanboy. Like I, my musical tastes are very broad and, and contemporary and uh, all that kind of stuff. Like a lot of parents, it's like they have kids to create like like clones of themselves. Yeah, you know, and, like, like and something mm -hmm. you said in that uh, that series, which I, I recommend everyone check out. Um, I think Matt puts it out, but Davey put it out too on the Red Pill Cartel. You were talking about these musicians, and you said that there is, and I might be paraphrasing a little bit, but mm -hmm. these people that are complying to these rules and playing at certain mm -hmm. venues where you need the X Y Z and whatnot. Um, mm -hmm. They're performers. They're not musicians because there mm -hmm. are plenty. If you really were a true musician, you would just make your music and you would figure out a way to put it out on the Internet or whatever way you could do it. These people are performers. You know, they're not. They're following trends. They're actors. They're put in place for a reason. And yeah, I, I don't want to expose my kids to any of that shit either. Yeah, because it just opens up another whole other myriad of problems because it's not just the music, it's the fashion. Mm -hmm. It's the vocabulary, it's the drug uh, connotations. And, you know, I talked about that a little bit with them too, but obviously I just recommend people go and listen to it, you know, on Spotify or wherever else they listen to podcasts. But I might've mentioned this, I might not have, so I'm going to mention it now, is I like recording artists. And if, you know, people don't know the difference, a recording artist is a person who primarily functions, operates, makes their income by putting out albums that were recorded in a studio rather than the majority of their income coming from live performances or, you know, product endorsements. Mm -hmm. You know, like I've only been to like one really big show. I think it was Depeche Mode and they, mm -hmm. they, they played it in an arena because it was like, you know, a few years ago or so, like 2017 or 18 or something like that when they went on tour. But, um, yeah, there's entertainers that, you know, they use music as a form of entertainment. And then there's musicians and they don't record. They just play instruments live, you know, for their friends and family or, or whatever. Maybe, maybe really small, intimate, you know, kind of gatherings or something. They'll get, you know, a little, you know, compensation. And then there's recording artists. And recording artists are like kind of like in between, you know. But like I said, they primarily they like to work in the studio because they can take their time and you know nobody has to nobody has to actually necessarily see them they right. have to like put, put on a bunch of uh, uh, put on a bunch of rears you know a bunch of flare and shit you know they're just like like you know like talking about uh, these musicians who have to wear like costumes like it's some uh, you know theater you know it's like it's like you, people are like oh yeah i don't listen to the out like I know people that like, you remember that band Guar? Yeah. <laughs> all right. Well, like none of those guys are real anymore. Like they're all dead. Mm -hmm. it's a, it's a, they're all like all the original members, except for like 
I think the female, the, the girl, uh, Jenna Torturist, or whatever mm -hmm. her name was, I think she's still alive. And in the, but the Balzac guy, that's a fake Balzac. They've gone through like two or three of them. Obviously, Otis Varungus, the, the lead singer, and David Brock, he's been dead. You know, anyways, I knew people who didn't even like Guar. Like they wouldn't listen to Guar like uh, an album, you know, they wouldn't put on a CD or, but they would go to the show. They loved the show. Right. Because it's like you said, it's theater. They got these mm -hmm. crazy animatronic shit. There's blood and gore. And it's mm -hmm. like, it's a spectacle. It's, it's mm -hmm. bread and circus. That's what it is. Oh, exactly. It's, uh, it's um, Cirque them mm -hmm. uh, rather than pump them. Like pump them would be like, if you went to the, you know, see Beethoven recital or, you know, symphony or something. Mm -hmm. But then once again, that's kind of putting things, you know, into a into a perspective of like, well, this is better, this is highbrow, that's lowbrow. But if we're just going purely off of you know definitions of the words, you know, and there's a reason why it's you know certain people just it's not accessible, mm -hmm. you know, what works with for the masses, you know, doesn't work. But I'm not like trying to be like a snob or anything. Like I'm not. It's just that's just the way it is, you know. Yeah. And it goes back to quality over quantity. I mean, everything ties together. You know, if you're just gonna, yeah, I don't know. And people don't people don't like being put in their place. Like, mm -hmm. like that's like one of the main things I've noticed that people, uh, most people find very irritating is being put in their place. And I, you know, I'll, I'll come across people who are really into, um, you know, Faith No More or Mr. Bungle, anything that was created by uh, that guy uh, Mike Patton. You know, people kind of look at him as this Gen X, you know, genius, and a lot of people look up to him as a musician. And I go, well, if you like Mike Patton, then just go listen to John Zorn, because Mike Patton copied everything from John Zorn as far as the experimental, like, kind of avant-garde noise kind of shit. Mm -hmm. And uh, John Zorn was in a band called Naked City, and they pioneered like jazz speed metal, and that was like a combination of like really fast metal with like improvisational saxophone playing and all that shit and that's essentially what um phantomos was and phantomos was that band that, that mike Patton started uh in the early 2000s and if you like john zorn then just go listen to john cage and john cage was a a, a composer who was born in like i don't know like he was born in the 30s or something like his peak experimentations were like in the 60s and he's really famous for a composition called 433. And the reason it's called 433 is because it's four minutes and 33 seconds of complete silence. The song does not have any notations, but he made the sheet music for it and people, and people perform it, you know, and you know what they do is they come out and they sit at the piano and they pull out the sheet music. There's nothing on it, so it doesn't matter. And they sit there in complete silence for four minutes and 33 seconds and then everybody claps that's incredible yeah that's yeah, that's, <laughs> that's that's, that's avant-garde and it's like that's and people go well anybody could do that and it's like yeah but john cage did it first now nobody else can do it right and that's... the idea yeah exactly is the idea is that within that four minutes and 33 seconds every little noise that you know somebody <clears throat> somebody cracks their knuckles you know mm -hmm. uh you hear a bird outside uh you know somebody farts somebody steps on the floor and the wood creaks that's the song every ambient noise 
that's encapsulated in that four minutes and 33 seconds, that's, that's the song, you know, but only one person could do it. And, and you know, you can't, you can't copy them and go, well, I'm going to make, you know, 538 or I'm going to do 752, you know, four, mm -hmm. and that's it. And that's, that's, that, that is the, that's like peak avant-garde. Like you cannot get any more avant-garde than that because if you just go and make a bunch of noise and say, oh, well, I'm being avant-garde. It's like, yeah, but everybody, everybody that's avant-garde makes noise, but you know, who, who had the balls to say, oh, I'm going to write. And the, the, the kicker is that the most courageous thing about the whole endeavor was the fact that John Cage wrote it out on sheet music, but there's nothing, there's no notations, right? you know, but it's there, you know, and then that's the other difference with John Cage and uh, John Zorn and a few other guys, but especially John Cage is you listen to his music, uh, I suggest you check it out if you haven't heard it. And it sounds way out there, like the timing and the, 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 it's just, it's so, it's like super wacky, but he didn't just do it improvisationally. He actually would sit down and write all the notes and then he would record it. And that's the difference between a genius. Well, they say that's the difference between a genius and a person who gets lucky by, you know, uh, improvising. Right. Plucking a few chords and it sounds good. That that's, yeah. Yeah. I'm going to have to look into that. Yeah, or like somebody like Sun Ra, you know, like he uh, he was a famous uh, musician, and you know, um, yeah, I, I I strongly suggest you check out John Cage and and John Zorn. And John Zorn, he had a really interesting song called mm -hmm. "Never Again," and it was on an album called Crystal Knot. And you know, Crystal Knot, you know, Night of the Broken Glass. Uh, when the, the Nazis went and broke all the windows of the Jewish businesses in Germany. And uh, John, it was kind of an homage or a uh, kind of a, um, it was like a personal piece that he did. But there's the interesting thing about the song or the track, Never Again, is that he recorded it in such a way that it would cause permanent ear damage if you listen to it at too high of a volume. And there was actually a sticker on the album uh, informing the, the potential listener of that, they would it's like a sticker that said, um, danger, uh, listening to this album at um, high volume levels may cause permanent hearing damage. And uh, I listened to it like a very low, you know, volume. And uh, I was like, yeah, it's like, it's like, even if you plug your ears, it's like, you can still hear it. It's like this super high pitched noise. So I could see how if that was amplified, you know, if that was played, it would like, it, it could screw your ears up so i thought that was ballsy you know yeah. it's like what can you do with me can you make music like painful you know and yeah. we're, we're missing we're missing that we're missing the dangerous experimentation and you know i'm kind of got off on a whole tangent there about avant-garde music but it's relevant because we see that in society everything is soft everything mm -hmm. is like you can't go like going to a show is not dangerous anymore because the second that it gets dangerous you know, I'm talking about like venue, like clubs, you know, obviously if you want to get killed, go to a, go to a big show like Astroworld with, you know, Travis right. Scott, Satanic Ritual, you, you'll get sacrificed so that they can have a healthy baby. You know, people didn't even think about that. But since I'm like, you know, half crazy, I thought about that. I was like, wait a minute, Kylie Jenner was pregnant. Mm -hmm. So then 12 people get trampled to death and there's blood, you know, and, and then she has a healthy baby, you know, a couple months later. Yeah. And I'm no. not, I'm not yeah, and I'm not saying that that like is directly a causation, but I'm saying these people believe in that shit. 
Right. And it doesn't you know? matter if you believe in it, they believe in it. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, and it's like, what would you do for a healthy baby? If you could, you know, be, you know, without, without any uh, repercussions, mm-hmm. you know, what do you care? Like, I'm not you personally, but I'm saying people in general, it's like, if you ask them, you say, okay, well, you know, guarantee you're going to have a healthy baby, but we got to kill 12 innocent people, you know? Uh, well, powerful people are going to be like, yeah, I want it's only 12. Them. We'll thin the herd. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. What do I care? I don't, you know, these people, they just give me money. Like I can lose 12 of them. Mm-hmm. You know, I got millions of fans. I can sacrifice 12 of them. But anyways, get back to the point is um, you ever heard of a band called uh, Swans? No. Okay. Well, they were, they were pretty like, uh, I don't know what you call them. Post uh, post punk, I guess in the eighties, they were like, you know, anyways, one of the big things that they like to do in the 80s is they tell the promoter of the club, they say, okay, well, here's what we're going to do. We're going to shut all the windows and then we're going to turn the heat up all the way. And the guy would be like, well, is that what you want? Because, you know, I guess, you know, people have preferences about the, you know, the, the temperature and the climate control. And they go, yeah, that's what we want. We want you to shut all the windows and we want you to turn the heater all the way up. And these were small venues and, you know, some people were like really packed in there and, you know, you've been to shows, you know, you start kind of sweaty sometimes, you know, mm-hmm. and it was, they did it on purpose to, to make the people irritable and uncomfortable and angry because the music was really loud and really angry kind of music, really just violent. Like it wasn't fast. It was actually kind of slow. You should, should check them out too. Um, but it's just really fucking loud and just really, you know, just a lot of pounding of the drums and, and, uh, and the guy, uh, his name is Michael Guerra, the lead singer, he enjoyed it. He like, he was like a sadist. He, he, he wanted people to get so aggravated that they would start fighting. And he just, he wanted people to have an experience yeah, that, they would, that they would remember. And that sounds like chaos magic, you know, <laughs> it's mm-hmm. just like, just pure insanity. That's uh, and he, it's and probably he some power like, trip too, you know? Yeah, and it's like he wasn't like into the occult or anything. He wasn't like a, he didn't like wear a, a you know a, a crimson robe or mm-hmm. he was just like a normal dude, like just you know wearing you know jeans and a t-shirt. But he wanted to create just like he wanted to make music dangerous, you know, just like a real you know kind of rock and roller, punk rock yeah. kind of guy would, you know. And that's something we're we're definitely lacking. But which would be fine, you know, if people were honest about it. But instead we get this what do we get instead we get a wolf in sheep's clothing mm-hmm. you know we get these people who are like oh yeah i'm totally innocent this is like totally normal pop music and everything but these are the people that are like involved with the spirit cookings and all that stuff and that's like i said that's kind of what we got into you know in the podcast for the listeners so they can check that one out but no like i said you know um just to get back to what we were talking about at the beginning of the podcast with the the parental roles and stuff like that is it's like I can't ignore my daughter, you know, especially when she's being cute and stuff and, and giggling. And so like, it's so hard for me to walk away, even though I got shit to do and stuff. It's like, I always take an extra couple of minutes to just play with her and stuff. And I think about these kids are being raised by parents who would rather play, you know, Xbox or, right. you know, or, or watch pornography or something. Like, I can't, I can't fathom like what it's like to neglect a child. And I hear these stories about these kids starving and these kids are malnourished because their parents are too busy, you know, with their, you know, playing bubble crush or something like, it's like insane, mm-hmm. you know, 
and I, I, I lose my patience a little bit and I, I start to, but I never take it out. You know, I don't get angry with her. I just get a little frustrated with the situation. You know how it is raising kids. Mm-hmm. And I, I'm just, I always think to myself, like, how can some people be so cruel to something that they created? You know, yeah. because they're, because they're addicted to technology. I mean, there's a myriad of other reasons, I suppose, that they could get like, you know, flustered. But what I'm trying to focus on is how come people will like neglect their child to be on their phone or to play a video game? Like that's a phenomenon that didn't exist, you know, 20, 30 years ago. Yeah, but it's all done by design. I'm convinced because then who can come in and raise your kids? The nanny state, you know, Mm -hmm. and it's, Mm-hmm. It's so you're saying that like, they create these you so you think that they like kind of like um, encourage or promote these traps that they can use as an excuse to take your kids away oh of course i think 100 mm-hmm. percent they do that it's like oh well that's a neglectful parent and by all rights they are you know <laughs> and it's like well they're not really fit to raise the kids so let's mm-hmm. take them and you know they put them in a foster home or whatever they end up doing but it's just like it's it's crazy i mean and again like child protective services stuff like that i worked in a school i had to deal with these people and it's it's one of those like catch 22s it's a necessary evil like yes an organization like that should exist because there are a lot of kids that are abused and neglected but at the same time too then they there's abuse and neglect going on with that stuff so it's like you you can't win you know (laughs) but going back to what you said yeah like i can't imagine like there's a fine line as they get a little older. I mean, your daughter's still pretty young, so I, you spend every minute you can. But it's like mm-hmm. there there comes a time around like I would say two to three where you have to start teaching them some independence and whatnot. But mm-hmm. it is hard, you know, because they're hilarious. <laughs> they're amazing, yeah. you know. It's like this is a little version of you that you created, and now you're responsible for. It. Like you want to, and it does go fast. As cheesy as that sounds, you just want to. Yeah, you got to spend every minute you can and just encourage just confidence. I, I would say that is one of the biggest things that neither of my kids lack, and I'm not bragging or anything, but neither of my kids lack any confidence at all. That's and I good. know because I, I, I struggled with that. I was a shy kid. I cried a lot and I just, it was, I didn't want that for them. And I'm, I'm happy that they aren't like that. But mm-hmm. at the same time, they do, I do want to teach them to be a little more independent as well and start doing more things on their own. And yeah, it, it's a, it's a balancing act, man. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's like, and I, I, people that have listened to, you know, some of the podcasts that I've done, uh, the one that we did, the first one we did, and some of these ones I've did, done with Matt, the great deception and uh, shadow band and all that stuff is people will notice that I do happen to mention um, uh, Charles Manson, you know, a lot. And I was just thinking about parenting. I was like, well, he, he told everybody like, Hey, you guys failed. And then I had to step in and he actually blamed the, the parents, you know, which would have been the roughly would have been the, the greatest generation parents because, you know, Charlie was a boomer and those girls were boomers. So they were raised by the, the quote unquote greatest generation. Um, and he said, you know, they went to your schools, they listened to your music, they did everything that you told them to do, and they still ended up with me. You know, and he like he was like, I I didn't want this, 
you know, if you listen to his interviews, he said he blames the parents. He blames his parents for the way that he turned out being a recidivist, you know, being in juvenile halls and reform schools. You know, he spent more time incarcerated than he did alive. Like they did the math and he was only like a free man for like, I don't know, it was like a joke, man. It was like less than 20 years. It was like 16 years of his life. He was free. Right. You know, and he said, look, you know, what's the problem here? How come we keep going around in circles here where you guys create a system, you guys push these kids through the system and they still end up falling through the cracks and ending up with guys like me. And why am I like me? Because I was, I went to your reform schools. I went to your prisons. I went to your jails and I still ended up like this. Mm-hmm. And then, so we, we come back to this thing where we're seeing this now, unfortunately, where I'm seeing articles talking about like they're just opinion pieces for now, you know, but there's these opinion pieces where people are like, no, actually, you don't get to control your child's education. We do. And they're admitting that if you send your kid to school, especially a public school, that they control their education, that you're handing your children over to, to them, you yeah, know, which you're, obviously you're, you're giving mm-hmm. them their your consent and it's their program and like i i say a lot i taught in the public school i know how bad it is that's why i don't want to send my kids there and uh, unfortunately my stepson is uh he's in a special ed class so i can't afford his services you know that he Mm -hmm. gets through the school so we we were kind of stuck sending him there for now but again it's just constant deprogramming that's my job as the father to just deprogram these kids when they come back so they can get their mm-hmm. stupid piece of paper and whatever. But I, I want to push a trade school on them or something just mm-hmm. because I know he's good with his hands. I know he'll find something he likes to do. Mm-hmm. And I don't, it's just so unnecessary, this system. But yeah, they do. They, they're so radicalized now that they want to be like, they. it's their school. It's their system. It's their program that they are pushing. and. By sending your kids there, you're giving them that consent to teach them this stuff. Yeah, it's like Malcolm X, you know. Um, Malcolm X is kind of a misunderstood dude. Like, I don't follow his, you know, Islam, and I don't follow mm-hmm. the Black nationalism that was, you know, wrapped around him. That, like, you know, I know you, you would have, like, your Louis Farrakhan kind of guys and all that nation of Islam. Obviously, that's not my, like, they don't even want me. You know, it's, I'm, not, right. I'm not part of it. But one of the great things that Malcolm X, one of, probably one of the best things that he ever said, as far as I know, because, you know, I mean, everybody's, you know, I'll give credit where credit's due. The guy said, he said, only a fool would let his enemy teach his children, mm-hmm. you know? And what he was talking about is he's saying he didn't want his children or his nieces, nephews, or friends of the fam to go to the white man's school. Okay, now from his position, I can understand that. You know, he mm-hmm. saw the whole thing as like anti-Afrocentric, anti-you know pro-slavery. And you got to think about the, the, the where he was coming from, and he was so radicalized. But when you dissect that and you bring it down, you bring that quote down to its base nature, and you remove his political alignment, and you remove his personal biases, and you just look at it as the words that are written, mm-hmm. it's absolutely true. It's just it's it's an absolute. 100 i mean it's just it's just it's just true like if you want your kid to you know i don't know um 
you know, there's, there's a million examples I could use. You know, you want your kid to be a good chef. Well, you don't, you know, let them be taught how to cook by someone who only uses a microwave. Right. You know, like and, you got to send them to, to a real culinary school. And yeah, it's Malcolm X. I, I'm pretty sure he also said the most dangerous person in the planet is a white liberal, which is kind of funny too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you know, he had to tone that he had to tone that quote down a little bit, if you know what I mean, because I don't mm -hmm. think he was talking about. Um, you know, you know what I'm talking about. Yeah, man. you know what I'm saying. All right. Mm -hmm. And I hope some of the listeners do, and they're not like scratching their heads, like, "Well, what are they? What are they sidestepping?" Anyway, point is, is that he knew what time it was, and um, he had. Um, well, I mean, that's why he was assassinated, right? You know, it's like anybody that's like worth a shit ends up like going away, you know, or not, or you know, they pretend to go away. It's like the bad ones pretend to go away, and the good ones actually do get killed. Mm -hmm. yeah, you know, because like the Epstein. You know, everybody's like, well, Epstein didn't um, didn't uh, bump himself off, you know, and it's like, yeah, because he's still alive. And right. like, oh, no, that's crazy. He's totally it's like, no, he's there's no proof that the dude's dead. No, I there's mean, just as much proof that he's alive. There's more proof that he's alive. It's just, again, a five year old could debunk that in two seconds. Oh, the cameras went out and that's a whole nother episode we could get into. But yeah, yeah man, it, it's going back to the school and that mm -hmm. they teach what they teach. This is something I've been kind of playing around with in my head. I've talked about it a little bit because you mm -hmm. said growing up, you learned cursive. I, mm -hmm. I'm a little bit younger than you. I'm 30 years old, but I learned cursive, but they don't teach cursive anymore. Mm. Now, um, and, and it's a big thing. They won't, they don't teach, they really don't teach grammar anymore either. Everything's oh, no, done was, on a I computer. Was, I was gonna mention, I was gonna mention the grammar and the English and the spelling. Yep. They're going to phonet phonetic spelling. Yep. Spelling. Uh, I actually got in trouble. I was teaching seventh grade English, right? And I was a substitute teacher, a long-term sub. I got thrown into this like horrible situation where the teacher quit. It's a whole thing. But as one of the, I had no curriculum, so I had to come up with everything on my own as a first-year teacher. And I started giving them spelling tests and it was going good for about two, three months. And then the principal came in and was like, yeah, you can't be giving these kids spelling tests anymore you have to follow the common core standard. And I was like, oh. there's a common core standard for spelling. I, I can show you right here. And it's mm -hmm. like, yeah, but just to do a spelling test, like it, it turned into a whole thing, but it goes back to, this is my thought. And mm -hmm. this might be a little woo woo, but I mean, there's handwriting analysis where people can check your cursive and see a lot about you. And that's mm -hmm. maybe pseudoscience, but it's, fairly accurate and then i i do believe that there's a lot of going into like the uh manifestation and, and kind of creating your own reality and escaping this matrix if you're able to write and write in your own distinct like everyone's handwriting is like a fingerprint and mm -hmm. they're trying to destroy that to get rid of any sense of individuality any sense of um independence and yeah, I, I believe that's why this big push for getting rid of cursive, like I, I work in auto garages and stuff, you know, here and there and cleaning cars out and doing other things. But like I was working with some kids that were 23 years old. And I don't know if you've heard this story, but like they found a note in a car cleaning mm -hmm. it out and they were like just staring at it. And then they call me over the, the elder, you know, seven years older than them. 
and they're like we found this note i was like well what does it say they're like we don't know and i'm like what do you mean you don't know is it like written in chinese like what's what's going on they're like no dude it's written in cursive and i i look at it and it's just like someone's shopping list and it wasn't even like (laughs) bad cursive it was like very neat like ocd cursive like it was i was like you guys can't decipher any of these letters like you can't come up with and they're like no we have no idea what this says i was like wow this is we're in a weird state (laughs) yeah no i mean it's like it might as well be in uh egyptian hieroglyphics or something yeah it's just bizarre to me but yeah i i don't know i'd just like to hear your thought on my hypothesis that they're getting rid of handwriting for a reason uh, well, they're getting rid of it because, you know, everything's primarily done on on computers, on, ta- on, on computers and tablets and stuff mm-hmm. like that. And then also, you know, they'll probably try to justify it by saying something about the planet and paper and mm-hmm. blah, 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 blah. That'll be kind of the cope and everything. It'll probably but be racist, really- too, you know. Oh, yeah. Well, we could go into that. But, um, mm-hmm. you know, yeah, there's obviously that problem. Uh, but. The problem is, is that, yeah, they'll say like, well, privileged families have access to stationery and they have the extra money for paper goods and, you know, blah, blah, blah. You know, it's just like why they want people to use a Kindle instead of buying books, you know, because books and writing and pencils and pens and everything analog is completely uh, ungovernable. It's ungovernable and you can, you you can't trace it. So Mm -hmm. if we're going to go down this whole like dystopian kind of road, you know, we're going to have to go back to that anyways. Like I would suggest if you have the extra money, I would, if I did, you know, and I had the extra space is start picking up uh, photocopiers, especially like Xerox machines, ones that can do like high volume, high output, you mm-hmm. know, high contrast, black and white, you know, ones that can produce like, you know, 5,000 pages of, I don't know what the record is, but you know, those like high yield, mm-hmm. you know? Um, but anyways, get back to your point. Yeah. They're definitely trying to phase that out because when you type everything onto a tablet or a phone, then there's a record of it. Yeah. And I'll, gi- I'll, give, you, I'll give you an example. You can look into it uh, if you don't believe me. But uh, they announced it back in, I think, like 2011 or 2012 or something. Facebook said, look, if you go to make a post, and I would um, imagine this applies to Twitter and Instagram and all that stuff too, is if you go to make a post and you're like, you know, you're pissed off or you're drunk or you're, you're stoned or whatever. And, and then you type out a whole thing about like how you fucking hate somebody or you want to do this or you want to do that or just something silly, you know, just whatever that mm-hmm. it stays. Like, it doesn't matter if you hit cancel, right? There's a record of it that you don't have to post it to your wall. You know, you don't have to share it. it, it there's still a record of it. There's still the metadata. So everything you type into that platform every little web that you weave in that grand matrix of 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 social media is still logged and kept and 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 carpent or compressed and carpent or what's that word when you compartmentalize Mm -hmm. you know otherwise the in other words the bits bytes are to save space they're pressed down and you know what nobody might ever see that again it doesn't it's unconsequential like it's just it's it doesn't even matter it's it's so insignificant but the, just the fact that that's a uh, that that's the reality of it, right? And then what that, happens with cancel culture? Oh well, you know, someone you didn't even post it now, and they can pull mm-hmm. it up and use it to cancel you or whatever they're going to do. Which uh, oh yeah, if they have the con- if they had the connections, and somebody says like, well yeah, I can get into his whole 
his whole metadata history. Like I can mm-hmm. see everything he typed. I can see his DMs. I can see shit that he doesn't even remember typing. Mm-hmm. You know, and then that gets into the whole deep fake thing. Like, did I type that, or did right. they forge that? And then there's no way to prove it. But no, but yeah, getting back to the handwriting thing. I mean, when a kid learns how to write and spell and write on paper, it's like a whole world opened up. Like you know, you're 30, but you probably still remember like when kids would like pass notes to each other in class. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. that was like secret encrypted you know dms like that was like super like confidential like there was no record of that no you know it's like you had the piece of paper that said hey meet me you know behind the swing set if you you know want to fight mm-hmm. or something romantic from a girl like hey i like you do you want to go to 7-eleven and get a slurpee later you know like shit like that yep. you know and kids are missing out on that because you know what you do like what I would do if I got like a kind of sweet note like that from a girl, because yeah, I didn't go to school, but there was, you know, certain activities I was able to participate in after school activities, you know, uh, weekend events with kids that went to the school that I would have, like I was, I was uh, primarily friends with kids who would have went to the school that I would have gone to anyways. So I got to kind of experience some of those things. Every time I get like a, a note, like a little piece of paper, I'd like save it like as mm-hmm. a memento. I'd be like, oh, it was and you know, if I kicked around in some of my old boxes, like I could probably find stuff from from the 90s, you know, like little just trinkets, like little scraps of paper and little like little things, you know. Mm-hmm. And we're we're they're missing out on that ethereal kind of stuff, you know, like concert tickets, but they're all on the phone. Right. You know, and, and it's yeah, it's all in the wallet. And that's the other thing too, with like the push for Kindles and audiobooks and things like like mm-hmm. they can delete that stuff now now there is no mm-hmm. record you know you have a hard copy of a book you put it under your floorboard and when they come looking <laughs> for it to do the book burning you still have mm-hmm. that and i always wonder mm-hmm. how many of those like kind of tying it back to like the old world you know how many people's grandparents had books that had just vast amounts of knowledge of things and people just threw them away or you know it's like yeah. I'll do you one. I'll do you one better. Like, okay. So this guy went to a, um, he went to a garage sale and he bought this, uh, this book on art history mm-hmm. and the people, you know, that were having the sale, it was like, maybe it was an estate sale. They didn't go through everything. Somebody died, you know, and the guy's flipping through the book that he paid, you know, a quarter or 50 cents or whatever for you. And he finds this sketch, you know, he finds a piece of paper and it's like, really old you know and he's like looking at it and he's like, wow this is like this is like a really good sketch you know? mm-hmm. and then he looks at it a little bit closer and then he sees a name and a name that he recognizes you know instantly and it says rembrandt mm-hmm. so the dude the dude found a rembrandt sketch so wow. he takes it to get it appraised and they appraised it for two hundred and fifty thousand dollars Wow. <laughs> and he, he sold it in auction. You know, he's like, what the hell am I going to do with this? You know, like, I'd rather have the money. You know? mm-hmm. And then uh, my neighbor, one time she bought a vase and it ended up being from like the Ming dynasty. And then she ended up buying another house and she had uh, just got it at like a garage sale. So the point of that is, is, you know, when kids don't understand the value of analog things like little pieces of paper and uh, Chinese pottery, 
they could be losing out on fortune because they're like to them it's all like junk because they mm -hmm. value and they go well maybe i'll find a computer and i'll have an nft in it you know like that's like the, but that's what they or, or maybe i'll i'll find a phone and it'll have some bitcoins in it or it's like yeah but that doesn't work because like they'll just gobble that up like if you don't have the the uh, what the hell is it called the key log you know you have to have yeah. all this like password you know you can't just like it doesn't work like that it's all trapped in the in the black mirror the, the scrying machine mm -hmm. you know and that goes into the sorcery of these things that i'm you know currently talking into is um they're black scrying mirrors mm -hmm. like it's magic that the, the kind of technology that we use today is what people would have perceived to be magic you know 800 years ago Right. Like, and I was, I was going to say that when we were talking about like the medicine and stuff too, it's like mm -hmm. science versus magic. I mean, it's just science, but to someone, yeah, a thousand years ago or whatever, they see this like pill, like it's a magic pill right there. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's, it's, it's incredible. No, it's, it's absolutely fascinating. And, you know, uh, I think people like you talked about instant gratification, you know, a lot of people want the easy answers to all this old world stuff and to like, you know the mysteries of the ancients it's like it's it doesn't work like that it takes a lot of um and i'm not professing to be an expert it's just a, a field of interest it's just something that i do because i don't i don't do the other things mm -hmm. you know i don't um and i'm not trying to grandstand or, or, or self-congratulate myself it's just the reality is I, I i just i don't do the other things i don't play video i don't uh collect the, the funko pot you know I, I i have so much like free time at night that I just like to try to figure out where we came from and where we're going. And it's just, it really, I don't know. It's, it's kind of like, it's one of those things that you can't really describe unless you uh, enjoy it. You know, it's just like, yeah, it's, it's, it's basically just, a hobby in, in a sense, you know, mm -hmm. it's, but you're learning and you, you kind of mentioned, I don't know if we, this was before we started recording, but with the whole Tartaria thing and, Mm -hmm. you kind of said that people kind of jumped the gun with it and i i kind of believe that too it's like everyone lumped everything that was old into this this phrase this egregore tartaria and it's like mm -hmm. i mean i believe there was multiple resets probably you know it's like I, I don't think we can lump all of it into one category i i think it is much more compartmentalized or much more a lot more to the story, I guess I, I should say, but yeah, is there any, like, I just, I, I'll just ask like, well, is yeah, there... the thing that I'm getting it. The... Yeah, go ahead. I, I just want to hear your opinions uh, on that. Uh, well, oh, yeah, no, no, yeah. Well, sorry. There's a little delay there. Um, mm -hmm. What I was going to say was where it's leading me. What I find interesting is this, um, this red sky versus blue sky uh, theory. Like, I don't know if you've heard any, uh, murmurings or any anything like that have you heard of, of that theory i have and it's another thing too like i always wonder it's like what is your blue like what does your blue look like to you <laughs> you know mm -hmm. it's it's one of those questions that you can't really ever answer but yeah it's let's break that down a little bit the red sky blue sky because my understanding is that at one point in history there was a red sky mm -hmm. and i find mm -hmm. that extremely fascinating and it would lead credence to so many things like the way 
that the planet evolves, you know, not from a Darwinian or secular atheist Big Bang bullshit theory, but just as a as a living, breathing entity created by God. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's like also kind of like a more Western way of of approaching like the Kali Yuga, you know, kind of uh, a thing like like we have a blue sky. And we think like, oh, well, blue sky is pretty. Blue sky means like, that's good, you know? But it's like, what if blue sky is bad and red sky is good? And you go, no, red sky is bad. Red sky means like fire and brimstone and, and, and volcanic eruptions and, you know, stuff like that. And you say, well, you know, maybe, but, you know, we talk about like, say we bring up like the book of Revelation and we say, you know, the fires, the fiery skies and the red and the crimson and all that stuff, but that's actually ushering in a better time. In other words, like when the tribulation ends, the, you know, this, this, this day of reckoning and this day of judgment, the red sky doesn't go away. And then we right. get another millennial reign of Christ, you know, we get a thousand years of peace. And then, um, you know, I was doing some research and there was a, this theory and they were saying like the ancient Greeks couldn't see blue. And I was like, what the hell does that mean like and they you know were like basically coming to the conclusion that there was something different about the ionosphere and the atmosphere of the planet and the spectrum of the sun and all that and they couldn't see blue and they go well that doesn't make any sense because there's like blue pottery and there's blue you know pigmentations and they're you know and these are artifacts that we find and i go yeah it looks blue to you but it might not have looked blue to them you know, right. and and so when I so you're over in New York, but you probably heard about like it was right before it was right before the Shanghai Shiver thing became a thing. Mm-hmm. Um, there was all these fires over here in California. Yeah, there was like tremendous. I'm sure you saw because it was like it was like global. It's like international news, you know. Oh yeah. And there was this phenomenon that happened, and um, where you couldn't. Uh, you couldn't see the sun. It was like, it looked like the moon. I mean, it looked like it was nighttime in the daytime. There's so much damn smoke. And so I walked around with my wife and we took photographs and uh, this is before we had a kid and stuff. So we we're just like walking around. It was so eerie. It was so eerie out here. And one of the phenomena was that daylight bulbs looked blue. And I can send you some pictures or you can look it up. A lot of people took pictures of it. It was this really crazy light phenomenon. And I remember like um, my aunt was asking me about it because she knows I'm a photographer. And I was like, okay, here's what's going on. There's so much smoke in the atmosphere that it's literally blocking out certain spectrums. So daylight bulbs, like fluorescent bulbs that would normally look like slightly yellow Mm -hmm. are coming out blue. So people's porch lights look blue. The, the lights in a, um, well, there's this particular photograph I took of, a, of an auto body shop and they had all their fluorescent lights on and it was juxtaposed with the red sky, but the whole inside of their auto body shop looked like they had blue lights. Yeah. And then the next day, or maybe not the next day, but the preceding next couple of days, it started to diminish and then the lights went back to normal. But there was like 48 hours where these 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 normal temperature, like on the Kelvin, you know, uh, unit of measurement of light, you know, mm-hmm. 
it's, it would be low. It'd be considered a cold light. Blue is cold. And then you go all the way up to daylight temperature. It's like 6,400 Kelvins or something like that. I, I might be a little off, but it's something like that. Right. So that's my thing. So like, what if there was a point in time for whatever reason, whether it was, you know, divine or purely, you know, just uh, uh, meteorological that we couldn't see certain colors, you know, yeah. because of, of, of that. And, you know, that, and that's fascinating kind of stuff to me. And then um, what else the, the research of the old world has led me to is that um, people were just fundamentally different to the point where the world just, you know, it was like, oh yeah, well, you know, people still had sex and people still, you know, trying to figure out ways to get intoxicated and people fought. Yeah, of course. But those are base nature things. Those are like, right. you know, if we didn't ha have that, then we wouldn't have anything. But I'm talking about what the hell did people think about? You know, like people must have had such a more of an active imagination. And, um, you know, because like I'll, sometimes I'll be laying in bed with my wife or something, you know, like, you know, just, you know, cuddling or something. I go, wow, this is really magical. Like guys have been doing this forever. Like if you want to go back to cavemen, if you want to believe in cavemen, you know, say like cavemen did this. They like, they laid there and like held their woman and like kept the fire going. And then I think about like, well, what are my responsibilities? Like, I got to like keep the electricity on. Like, I got to pay the electricity bill. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, like the, the, the Ooga Boogas are like the, the evil spirits will like turn off my fire. You right. know, I got to like, I got to give them these like, these, these things we call monies, you know, but the old days, you know, maybe like there was like a guy who would come around and stomp out everybody's fire if he didn't give them some, you know, magic rocks or something. Right. And, or even just the fact that like, if I don't go collect firewood, I don't have mm -hmm. fire, you know, and that's, oh, yeah. that's so fascinating. And that goes back to the whole distraction thing, because I, I think it's a George Carlin bit, but he, he talks about like kids and stuff. He's like, just give a kid a stick and let him dig oh, yeah. a hole in the dirt. And it's oh, like, yeah. it's so true. Like, and that goes into meditation and things like that. But sometimes you just need to ground yourself and just sit and just let the thoughts flow. I mean, like there is a magic that does happen. And I would say it's a, you know your mind can go to dark places and whatnot but it is a pure form of magic a good um just good exercise to get in the habit of daydreaming no one daydreams anymore you have a phone in front of your face you can look up anything you want and it's like uh, mm -hmm. my my thought is like i don't know do you go into like the akashic records or anything like that because i think that if they're real who knows but i i do think we have the ability to tap into something greater and, and mm -hmm. just have this knowledge and they put this phone with the internet in front of us and that is the man-made luciferian whatever you want to call it cheap version mm -hmm. of it where we can look mm -hmm. up bullshit oh how mm -hmm. old is that actor what other movie was he in it's like mm -hmm. no just sit there and daydream and think about other things you know like anything else and it, yeah, yeah, exactly. But you see that you're, you're, you're intelligent enough to see the irony in that, that mm -hmm. we're given this thing, we're given this thing called the internet or the World Wide Web or, you know, the, the whatever, the information superhighway, and we have all these, excuse me, various devices to, to channel that, that, that knowledge. And you say, <laughs> excuse me, you say it's Luciferian, which I agree to a certain extent, uh, to a vast extent. But the irony is that we can use these things to figure that out. Right. See, so that's the flaw in the system is they haven't censored it completely yet. 
and we can look up the Akasha records and we can look up, you know, walking the spirit road and we can look up astral projection and we can look up all the stuff that will actually try to get us to see the Luciferian. But, you know, that's the interesting thing. And before we get too off subject, there was something that you said that uh, spurred a thought and I'm trying to trying to get it back before I lose it. And that was, uh, I believe it was something that you said about the, um, uh, help me out here. What, what were we talking about before we moved on to the internet of uh, knowledge? Oh, uh, the, the cavemen and the daydreaming. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, so I was like thinking about like, it's like man in the old world, like, you know, he still had the same feelings as us. Like we still mm -hmm. feel the same way but we didn't have these modern distractions so then i think about like man the guy's mind must have just been reeling and, and rocking and rolling in all kinds of crazy uh in, uh all kinds of crazy uh existential ways but then you mentioned how the kids are missing out on all this stuff and i thought you know they're not just missing out on you know playing with a stick or a cardboard box like these kids aren't going to know what happens at the meadow at dusk you know, and if people don't know what that reference is, because I don't want to take credit for that, but it's it's a beautiful, um, it's very, it, like, when I think of, like, oh, what happens at the meadow at dusk, like, that's personal kind of interpretation, but it's actually, I hate to say it, it's actually from a movie, you know, mm -hmm. and it's it's movie, man, it's, uh, should probably rewatch it, um, I believe it's called Huckabee, I Heart Huckabees or something like that. So it's really kind of like, nobody really talks about it anymore, but it has uh, Jude Law and it has uh, Marky Mark from the Funky Bunch in it, you know, uh, Wahlberg. Mm -hmm. And it's got, uh, I don't know, it's got some other big, it's got like Dustin Hoffman. Anyways, the point is, is that they're going through this therapy, some type of therapy. And somebody says like, well, you know, they don't know what happens at the meadow at dusk. And then Mark Wahlberg, he's like a firefighter and he's like coming to terms with this existential crisis. And he goes, what happens at the meadow at dusk? And it's like, well, what happens at the meadow at dusk to me, what I think about is I think fireflies, the smell of sweet grass, and, you know, dry grass, that kind of like in the summertime, you know, when you were a kid and everything just made sense, mm -hmm. you know, everything was like perfect. It was like, there was that smell in the air. It was about, you know, 70 degrees, which is like the perfect, you know, temperature for human beings. And it wasn't too cold. It wasn't too hot. And it's like, that's what I feel bad for kids these days. It's like, they don't, especially with this whole lockdown thing, is it's like running around like your head's on fire. You know, just mm -hmm. like the world is like your oyster. And like, you can just, you're, you're old enough to like do a few things that adults mm -hmm. do, but you can't do what, it's like a magical time of, it's like adolescent, you know, like, yeah. you know what I mean, man? I, I, like, I know exactly what you're saying. It's like, we used to do a lot of camping when I was growing up and it's, I can't repeat those memories. Like I, I know my kids are having them when we go camping because they're like free range children out there. They just, they're just loving life, but you get that nostalgia, but it's, it's not the same anymore. And I, I, mm -hmm. I know that it's from, being in the system it's from being programmed it's like I, I can remember it i can be nostalgic about it but i, I do think we lose a piece of our brain or, or, or i think we can get it back for sure but it takes time it's that indoctrination where you just kind of get beat down by the world almost and it's like 
yeah, yeah I, I know exactly to, what you're talking have, about it doesn't have to be like that mm-hmm. it doesn't have to be like that at all and you know obviously we're at this precipice where we're like okay are we going to go forward as a society with this transhumanism crap and this like divorce from nature and this divorce from god and we're just going to give all of our you know faith and allegiance to modern science and modern technology because you know things are easier this way and it's like we're at a very magical time and you know people were saying this kind of shit in the 80s and the 70s you know they're trying to warn us kind of but they Mm -hmm. didn't know how much more it was going to become this in limbo state like they thought things were going to be like worse than they are now by like 1985 or something like back in the 60s and 70s but they didn't realize it was going to take a lot longer and some of those people are still alive and they're like well they're really dragging it out you know and i don't think that mm -hmm. i was gonna say that makes you are we living through the tribulations right now you know like is this oh yeah Mm -hmm. in a way we are and that's why i see like i see um hashtags and i see you know references to days of noah you know, like that's kind of emerging kind of, uh, I guess you call it like a hashtag, you know, on social media. Mm-hmm. And what that refers to is like, it's time to prepare. Yeah. The days of Noah are the, are the days to prepare, you know, and like he built the ark and everybody laughed at him, you know, and said, what are you doing that for, you know? And then they try to like belittle it by put, making a movie with Jim Carrey, you know, like, or, or no, it's Steve Carell, I guess, actually. Uh, Jim Carrey was the one where he was God, right. which was another which was another affront to uh, people of faith. But then they did the one with Steve Carell where he's like Noah and they try mm-hmm. to make it like funny. Like, ha, 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 isn't this funny? It's like, no, it's not funny, dude. Like the guy, and like, well, it's silly because like you can't put all the animals on a, it's like, you guys don't understand symbology. You guys don't understand uh, right. esoteric knowledge. Like, okay, all, but they found a damn thing. You know, they mm-hmm. found an ark in Turkey. They right. found a huge, you know, what's that? You know, maybe he didn't have every damn animal, but maybe he had a few of them, you know, and now we have what we have. And um, so, you know, but people say, well, what should I do? Should I buy 50 pounds of, of dry food and, you know, a uh, thousand gallons of fresh drinking water? And it's like, well, I mean, that's not going to hurt, but I think it's a spiritual, it's a, you have to prepare because what is going to happen, you are going to see people become uh, cybernetic. And that's going to take a huge toll on certain people's psyche. Like, I'm ready for it. I'm ready to see people walking around with the Neuralink implants. I'm right. ready to see people with, with antennas and, sticking out of their heads. And we're not that far off. I mean, just go stand outside and watch people walk on the street. Everyone's got their phone right in front of their face. I mean, it's we're just going to take it one step further. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it's and so funny you bring that up because it's like people made fun of the preppers. And then look, they had lockdowns and shit. And certain people were all right. I was one of them. I'm not like a crazy doomsday prepper, but I always have a well-stocked pantry, you know? Mm -hmm. So when there was food shortages in New York and the grocery store shelves were empty, we were all right. You know? And it's. Oh yeah. Like, like I said, I mean, I'm here in Silicon Valley. And uh, so I was doing some yard work and uh, they hadn't done any restrictions, any masks that none of that was, was a thing Mm -hmm. yet, but they were talking about this, you know, this, this, this thing. And um, so my wife comes out and she goes, um, they just, she was watching the news or something. She caught something and she goes, um, they detected and announced the first case in Santa Clara County and Santa Clara County is where we don't live in Santa Clara County, but Santa Clara County is a couple counties over 
And uh, it's where San Jose is, it's where Stanford University is, it's where a lot of the big tech you know, headquarters are in Silicon Valley. So she goes, we gotta go shopping because it was like early afternoon. She goes, we gotta go to Costco. I still had a Costco membership. So she goes, we gotta go to Costco. And I go, yeah, absolutely. Like I didn't object. I was like, yep, you know. We, mm-hmm. So we went to Costco and we got, I mean, certain things lasted longer, but we got basically like four months worth of food. Like we got a bunch of meat, a bunch of pasta, rice, uh, waters, you know, just all kinds of stuff that would last a long time. Mm-hmm. Um, and put the meat in the freezer, obviously, and all that kind of stuff. And then sure enough, because her, her theory was, because, you know, my wife's not an idiot. Her theory was, is that when everybody got home from work and saw the story that there was the first case announced in Santa Clara County, that everybody was going to go for uh, a run on the, on the Costco's and the, and, the, and the grocery stores. And then sure enough, the next day, that's when they started doing those stories about how long the lines were at Costco and people were fighting for toilet papers and, you know, all that shit. Yep. So she, she called it and, you know, I, I agreed. And I guess we both kind of called it because we were in agreement. But one of the things that I, that I clearly remember, you know, people can say, you know, well, you're, you know, you're being racist. It, it, it just is what it is. Mm-hmm. I saw a huge Chinese family. Like there was like eight, maybe 12, maybe like a dozen, let's say, let's say a dozen. There was like a dozen Chinese people shopping together. And they had like five carts between the 12 of them. Mm-hmm. And where I caught them, was in the medicine section of Costco. I don't know if you have a Costco membership or you've been to a Costco, but you know we have, uh, Yeah, we have BJ's here. It's the same thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it's a, cl- it's a club, you know, uh, mm-hmm. whatever they call them. Okay. Sam's Club, all that stuff. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. Well, they were buying, just they were clearing the medicine out. They were clearing out the aspirins, the cold medicine, the, the rubbing alcohol. Like I was lucky to get a case of, of rubbing alcohol. Um, and I said, they, 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 like, they know it too. Mm-hmm. And there was a few other people, you know, not to just single out the Chinese or anything, but they, you know, they had a pulse on it because if they were watching Chinese news, mm-hmm. you know, they worried about it just like anybody else. Okay. And you got to remember, this is like February. This mm-hmm. is like February, 2020. So mm-hmm. sure enough, that's when all that, and then we haven't been back to Costco. Like I haven't been to Costco and, you know, uh, about two years because my Costco membership ran out and it ran out when Costco was a was still a madhouse. And so I just said, well, I'm not going to redo my, my membership. So, I mean, I, and I might, you know, redo it, but the point is, is that um, there was white people prepping. I could see they were prepping. Mm-hmm. I could tell by the stuff they were buying. I could see like the way that they were acting, you know, and there, and, and there was, it was just a weird vibe in the air. It is. And, and then, I- uh, I've got a synchronicity with that too. We moved into this house that we're in right now. We rent it, but we moved in in 20, January, 2020. And we kept getting the BJ's membership in the mail from the previous uh, tenant or whatever, the, the owner of the house. And uh, me and my wife, we moved in. We had a little bit of extra money at the time. And we signed up for the BJ's membership and we spent like six or $700 just to stock up the new place. It's bigger. We had more space. So I was like, we're stocking up and sure enough you know like you said february early march is when the shit started going down and we were we were fine 
And it was, it was kind of serendipitous. What was that? It was kind of serendipitous that you signed up for that membership before the shit hit the fan. Right. We kept getting the thing in the mail. It came like, yeah. oh, I don't know, yeah. three or four times in a week. We got like three. It was like sign up for $25, half off for the membership. And we were like, let's just do it. And then we did it and it worked out. But yeah, I mean, I, I believe that everything happens for a reason. But we also, I also come from like my father, who is very much a prepper and, you know, mm -hmm. loads up on guns and ammo and shit like that and everything. But mm -hmm. yeah, it's just, it, it was amazing to see people like even like my in-laws and stuff too like freaking out they didn't have toilet paper they didn't have this and it, like they don't keep a pantry in the house they didn't have like food and it was like i mean obviously we gave them stuff but it was just like yeah. most people do not have this stuff on their mind and it it does it goes back to the quote-unquote caveman the early primitive man like you got to gather for the winter you got to gather I just don't think that's a bad trait for anyone to have, you know, I think people can overdo it for sure. But like, that's with anything. It's just, we've lost that like connection with the earth, like to learn how, like no one knows how to can food anymore. No one knows how to do uh, meat preservation without a refrigerator. Like these are just like survival skills that I think should be taught in a public school how to grow a garden, how to do this kind of stuff. But it, it again, I'm chasing uh, dreams. No, but it, it actually, you know, it reminded me of something. And for the people that are listening that have a, you know, a, a connection or an interest in the, the whole old world theory is something that I've noticed while, while researching that was it was like, all these things were new in, in the Americas, right? Mm -hmm. And I go, what the hell's going on around here? This doesn't make any damn sense. Because I watch like a lot of different YouTube channels and there's this one YouTube channel that I watch and it's totally harmless. It's totally like neutral, but it's called Recollection Road. Mm -hmm. And uh, the guy, he's, he's pretty smart because like all he does is he does voiceovers. He finds like old pictures, um, you know, just uh, stock images and, um, you know, vernacular photos of like a certain decade. And he'll say, hey guys, you remember the 50s? Do you remember Piggly Wiggly? Do you remember Dairy Queen? And he has like each YouTube video, each episode is a certain subject. And it's like, it's really genius because boomers are really into this stuff and Gen Xers and he, he covers like a wide range of, of American history. So when he starts talking about like how this company started or how this invention was, in, I go, man, it was like a free-for-all in the 1800s. Like so many people built their fortunes off of simple ideas. And I go, wait a minute, wouldn't somebody have thought of this already? Like, and then you break it down and you look at it from that, from that light and you're trying to like figure out like the mysteries of the inheritors or, you know, why did everybody like wear, you know, like clothes? And you go like, how did these guys invent something that should have been invented back in Europe? Right. You know, like you think like Coca-Cola. Like, why was Coca-Cola invented in the mid-1800s? It seems like something that would have invented or been in existence in Europe or Asia, for that matter. And then we see, like, oh, this guy made a billion-dollar fortune out of, like, selling ice cream out of a truck. It's like, what? Like, nobody thought of that before? You know, well, in this, it's like, no, we had ice. You know, it didn't last as long, but there was, you know, obviously we had ice. 
And then you look at like just these really simple business models, these really simple inventions. And then it's like, oh, they were the first to do that. And that's what makes me think like reset because it's like, we're learning it all over again. Right. And it's almost like, did, did they really learn it for the first time or did these people have this previous knowledge and they just started, mm -hmm. you know, that's, yeah. it's so fascinating to think about. And again, I mean, then you can get into the obvious stuff, like people digging up buildings and things like that. And it's, I don't know. And it's going back to like the medicine and stuff too, with the churches. It's like, I believe that a lot of these places were probably like uh, sound frequency and healing sound healing chambers and things like that i don't know how much you dive into that but yeah oh, absolutely it, i mean just look at the way that they're constructed they're constructed to resonate sound mm -hmm. you know and people say well that's because they didn't have amplification they didn't have microphones so the voice had it's like well it's still really smart it's just it's a, it's a really ingenious right. way to do it and then my father this goes back to my father too my father didn't really he wasn't like a really big uh like he liked music, but he wasn't, a, he liked uh, people who could sing really loud without any amplification. Mm -hmm. Like he liked people that had loud, like booming voices that could sing without any microphone. So he told me, he goes back in the olden days, like to be a singer, to be like a bard or to be like in the, uh, the theater, you had to have like a strong voice because it had to carry throughout the, the amphitheater. But then he also told me about acoustics and he, he, he actually explained that all to me when I was a kid. And he said, if you build a room a certain way, it can make your voice louder. Because I think maybe I asked him like, well, like how did like music concerts and, and, and the operas and stuff work without like how did Wagner, you know, because remember Wagner, you know, and the, the, all those crazy epic, you know, operas that he, that he wrote. Like, how did that work? Like Beethoven, how did that work? without electricity. So then right. he uh, explained to me like cathedrals and like how the, the, uh, the, uh, the acoustics, you know, work. And it's like, why do we stop doing that? Like that seemed to work just fine. And then we get into the demonic, we get into the Lucifer, the perversion of electricity. Like, obviously I'm fucking using it right now. So like I can, you know, spare right. me the hypocrisy comments in the, in the, in the comment section. Like, I know what I'm doing. Like, I'm not oblivious. Like, I, you know, but I'm a man of my times. You know, I'm not right. trying to LARP. I'm not trying to LARP as a, as a pre-industrial revolution, you know, like person. It is what it is, guys. So anyways. And we theory, have to use the technology that we're given. I mean, there's, like yeah. you said earlier, like, this is what we have. We got to, we got to use it. When we so. go back to using like a Gutenberg press, you know, and we got to like hand churn out like pamphlets and nail them to the doors of certain churches and think I'm, I'm right there with you guys you know just show me the way just like how i learned how to operate this world with the technology i'm fine with going backwards you know but anyways to get back to the point the point is is that why did we why did we have to start perverting everything with electricity it seemed like we had perfectly good like you go back to the ancient greece you know amphitheaters and you go back do you ever see that um i mean obviously they use amplification but do you ever see that uh it's kind of like a mini uh mini movie I mean, like a movie but it was like a, an, a whole production of pink floyd playing at pompeii no i you haven't know, seen that oh, okay but you but you heard of pink floyd yeah of course so like in 1971 they flew in to pompeii 
and they brought in their their you know guitars and their their drum kits and everything but they put on a performance just for the crew but they filmed it you know like with motion picture cameras it's really good i mean it's on youtube high quality like uh hd whatever i suggest you watch it it's, it's pretty it's pretty cool but anyways they if they would have been able to do that um with the ancient uh you know schematics or what because the way that the place was designed it was designed to for the sound to travel you know and the, even the russians and soviet in times like you know because they're always trying to pinch pennies the, so the ussr would build these public squares in in soviet russia and they would put the seats a certain way there was like concrete bleachers and then they have like a cement podium and whoever was speaking it didn't matter what direction he was speaking and the way that his voice bounced off of these concrete bleachers and they had these walls put up in like strategic places you could speak to hundreds of people without a microphone you know and it's like why don't we bring that back why don't we start building places like you know free speech zones or whatever you know like uh over here in california in the bay area we had a place called people's park and it was in berkeley which is you know notoriously liberal but the funny thing about people's park was before all this you know, bipartisan crap, you know, with the inter fighting with the politics. It was a place where people could go and they could just say whatever they wanted. And people would like go there looking to argue or looking to listen. And they have a place like that in England. I forget what it's called right now, but there's a famous place in England that's like that. And it's like, we need to bring that kind of shit back. We need to bring that back and we need to build it a certain way so that people's voices can be heard without electricity. You know, because like that's 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 what we're doing. We're stifling people who don't know how to use the technology. Right. And how much of the technology do we even have? Yeah, I'm sure some elite mm -hmm. somewhere have it, but it's like, could we build a perfectly acoustic, you know, church with any of the knowledge we have right now? Probably not. <laughs> you know, and that's why I wonder, like at least around here, I'm starting to see, I mean, we have a ton of old buildings and stuff, but no one's renovating them no one is like fixing them up they're starting to fall apart things and it's like i think that's done on purpose too to just kind of let this stuff die because they don't want any knowledge but i was going to ask you do you think that because like you said with the internet too it's we can look this stuff up do you think there is some type of karmic uh obligation i guess i could say like that these elites or parasites whatever you want to call them in charge they have to give us some information mm -hmm. absolutely it's 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 all in their it's all in their rule books you know and i can't i mean i could if i wanted to but i'm, I'm kind of uh, at, at a at, at odds and i'm not going to say where you can find this information but there's there's certain books and certain uh manuscripts that are widely available on the internet where you can you can look at the rules and i don't mean like some Gnostic Freemason Bible or something like that. I mean, there's probably some knowledge in there too, but um, I'll, I'll tell you off the air and then yeah. you can, you know, but people look it up and uh, there's rules and um, they can be found in ancient documents and you kind of have to decipher it. But they've been talking about this hiding the truth in places where a reasonably intelligent person could find it for thousands of years. It, it's just, it's been a rule um another rule is if you're a merchant you know you're you're um in the bourgeoisie class you know you own a um a shop 
is you have to give the first customer of the day a good deal, and you have to give the last customer of the day a good deal. You know, a discount or a, you know, a deal. Like right. You got to treat them like preferential treatment, the first customer and the last customer of the day. And that is to off balance all the people that you rip off in between. Right. And if you and do that, that it then makes you'll you wonder like, why people always rush to be the first one there. It's like, is that something that's just ingrained? Cause mm -hmm. we knew that. <laughs> mm -hmm. That is, mm -hmm. that is. And it's also why some people do the opposite and they're like, I want to get there right before the guy closes because then he's going to be willing to make a deal because I'm the last customer, you know? So I can like, kind of, I have like a little bit of um, like a wiggle room. I have a little bit of leverage over them, you know? So like I bought a TV back in uh, like 2015. I bought like the, it was my first uh, smart TV, you know? And so I go, I didn't go to Best Buy. I didn't go to Circuit City. I didn't go to, you know, wherever. I went to, uh, like a mom and pop place that's been around for, you know, since the sixties. And I went in there and I like kicked the tires around a little bit. And um, I said, I like this one, you know, that. and it was getting to be closing time. And I don't know if they know about the ancient rule or anything, but it's just kind of like, like you said, it's like an ingrained thing, you know? So I pull up Amazon and I show them the exact same TV on Amazon. It's like, you know, a hundred bucks cheaper. I go, you match prices. And they go, well, yeah. I said, well, you know, you, you know, and they go, yeah, yeah, okay. Because they didn't want me to go buy it from Amazon. Right. But the funny thing is, is I would never do that because I'd be worried about it getting damaged and shipping. And I wouldn't, it'd be a nightmare to return. If the TV was fucked up here, I could just go back to the place because it's you know, a local place. So then they go, well, um, yeah, we'll match the price. And I go, that's great. You know, I said, uh, I'm going to need some HD cables and I want a Blu-ray player. Well, I didn't have a Blu-ray player at the time. So I said, I want a Blu-ray player too. What can you do for me on the Blu-ray player? And they go, well, we got this one. It's discontinued. It's a good model. And I go, yeah, what else you got? And they go, well, we got this um, camcorder. You could throw in this camcorder. I said, yeah, throw in the camcorder. You know, I didn't really need it because I use iPhone. But it gets to the point, they, got, they, they threw in the camcorder. I got the, uh, the, the Blu-ray player. And I got the TV at the uh, the Amazon price, and I, I don't think that they could do that all day. No, you know they couldn't do that to everybody. But you know, hey, you get lucky and you catch them at the right time, and you know all that kind of stuff. But to get back to the more esoteric part of it, yeah, absolutely, the truth is hidden everywhere. They put it in the Super Bowls, they put it in the Pepsi commercials, they put it in the Hollywood movies, they put it in novels. You know, I mean, why do you think 1984 is still printed? Why do you think Brave New World is, is still printed? Right. You know? And Brave New World is, is where we're at. We're not in 1984. We're in Brave New World. Yeah, but what is interesting is um, when I was in high school, 1984 was on the list of required. It uh, wasn't on the list of required reading, but it was on like the suggested reading list. And now mm -hmm. it's not even on that list. So it's mm -hmm. like they haven't got rid of it, but they just don't make it known to people. You know, like, and no, no high school kid anymore is looking at that suggested reading list. They're going to read whatever the teacher tells them to, and that's it. Like they're not going to go out of their way or above and beyond. Some will, but very few and far between. It's it's just interesting. It's like the truth is available, but 
what what kid, what 17, 18 year old kid is going to go out of their way to find the book 1984 <laughs> unless they're told to do so? No, I mean, it's really scary. And, you know, I'm not like, I mean, I've read a lot of books and stuff and I used to be more in the books than I am now, but I kind of feel like unless it's something exceptional, I've kind of gotten all I can out of like mainstream books, you know, the classics and all that. But it does, it does kind of, it makes me wonder how kids are going to discover even the classics. Like, how is a kid going to discover even War and Peace or Crime and Punishment or Catcher in the Rye or, you know, this, this crap that we're, we're told we have to read. Like, I'm not saying it's all crap, but I'm just saying, like, we grew up in a generation, we were lucky enough that, that all that stuff was still somewhat relevant. And now it's being replaced by God knows what. Like, there's a lot of free libraries in my neighborhood. You know, those little book nooks where people can take and give, you know, books. Like, yep. they're putting people's front yards and stuff. Mm -hmm. So I was, I've been going through those things a little bit more because I'm trying to find vintage children's books. Like, I'm trying to find books that were, like, made before everything got, like, you know, uh, perverted or you know altered or whatever you know mm -hmm. just like stuff that like I grew up with like stuff that was made in the 60s 70s 80s and so there was this book horrible book I mean just mm -hmm. pure indoctrination just pure propaganda but it was designed for children mm -hmm. so I grabbed it and I thumbed through it and uh, I can't remember exactly it was like how to raise an activist baby you know some some nonsense like that and it was just, it was just full of just, you know, like CRT and like just, just garbage, you know? Mm -hmm. So I took it. Mm -hmm. So and my wife goes, my wife goes, she goes, why are you taking that? And I go, so nobody else can get it. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And then, uh, so I put it away, you know, just like through, you know, through it. I didn't throw it away because I, I wanted to keep it, you know? Mm -hmm. um, and then I'm going through the books after our daughter's born. And I go, what the hell is this crap? <laughs> I, was like, I was like, I got mad at myself. I didn't get mad at her, but I just mm -hmm. said it to myself. I, I, I soliloquied, you know, I was like, I did like a little soliloquy. And I said, what the hell is this? And then she goes, huh, did you say something? I go, yeah, um, who gave us this? Like, where did this come from? And she goes, she goes, you took that. And you said you wanted it so that nobody else would get it. I go, oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. And I made myself laugh. I go, you're right. So nobody else would get it. And it's like, I'm keeping it, mm -hmm. you know? And that's what they do sometimes with artifacts. See, they don't actually want the thing to exist because it proves something against their, you know, narrative or it's like contrary to what they're trying to, and they'll hoard it. It's called the Smithsonian Institute. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's called the Vatican Library. Yep. Like they have all kinds of shit that runs contrary to their narrative and their agenda but they hoard it so nobody else can get it, but they can't destroy it. This is the other thing with them, with the elite, is they can't destroy anything because of its intrinsic value and the, uh, the power that they believe it has. Right. So I just got like a silly book, but like, what do they have, you know? Exactly. And I then mean, I was- The Ark of the yeah. Covenant, who knows? I was, at a, I was at a thrift store one time and I found somebody's diary. I found a I found a girl's diary and it was all in Spanish, but it was like a uh, it was like a Japanese uh, like what's that company that does like Hello Kitty and stuff the oh, uh, yeah, Sanrio yeah. Sanrio mm -hmm. it was like a Sanrio uh, diary from like it started in like the early nineties it started in like ninety two and it went all the way to like ninety nine like this really long diary it was all full 
but it's all in Spanish. And I, I don't read Spanish. Like I could understand a few words, but it was in mm -hmm. cursive. It was cursive Spanish. And I go, no one I'm, can read I'm, it. Yeah, I go, I'm taking this. I go, I'm taking this. And once again, my wife, she goes, like, well, what do you want with like a girl's diary that's in Spanish from the early 90s? I go, this is a power item. And she goes, you can't read it. She goes, you can't read it. I go, it doesn't matter. This is, this is important. I can't just let anybody take this. They might just throw it away. Like, you know, I, like those, those kinds of things aren't even supposed to be in thrift stores. Like that slipped through the cracks. Right. Yeah, they usually no. destroy, yeah, yeah, they don't put things like that out. You know? so I said, oh. And I still got it. I still got it. And, you know, like, I don't want to keep it like from, like, I just, I'm not going to meet this girl. Like, who knows what happened to her? But there's just something magical about items. So the other thing is I'm sitting here talking to you, right? And uh, I got this uh, human skull that my dad gave me. Well, he left it to me when he died, I guess. Mm -hmm. I took it. I grew up looking at it and, you know, he explained it to me and stuff. So I'm looking at it right now. I got it in my hand right now. And it's not a total, it's not a complete skull. It's just the cap. It's just the skull cap. And I can see all the lines, you know, where the uh, plates of the skull, you know, fuse together, the uh, funeral lines or whatever they're called. And then it's lined with silver. And then it's got this little turquoise uh, stone in it and stuff like that. But the, the skull itself was found in a battlefield in Europe in I believe France my dad picked it up somewhere along the way it's like an artifact you know it's supposed to be like I don't know like five six hundred years old or something you know mm -hmm. and my dad told me it's a power item and he said uh and I don't use it you know I'm, I don't practice uh you know sorcery or anything but he told me he said if you want to like have power over somebody you get something of theirs it could be anything mm-hmm could be like a little kid's uh, Hot Wheels car, or it could be like a dude's uh, Zippo lighter, right? Or it could be like somebody's ID card. Anything that's like a personal effect, right? And then you put it in the skull, and then you think about them, and then they'll start thinking about you, and then they'll call you on the phone, they'll send you a letter or a postcard. Or you'll run into them at the supermarket and they'll like be more open to suggestion. But see, I don't fuck around with that shit. You know, like I, I have the skull. I like the skull. I don't want anybody else to have it because somebody else, somebody else might get it and they go, they don't, they won't treat it right. And they'll get ruined well, or, you know, they'll throw that, it away. Or, the, or they'll use them. it for fucked up shit, or, you know? <laughs> yeah, or they'll use it for that thing that I just said. Right. But I don't keep anybody's stuff in it. I keep my stuff in it. I keep like a few little you know trinkets inside of it mm -hmm. you know nothing like and i don't i don't i don't dwell on it but you know i like it you know it's like not everybody has a human skull you know in their uh you know den right and that's you know. and that's interesting too because i mean again if you look into like the history of magic and stuff like in in ancient times these like people that hung out in graveyards there's a lot of a lot of power in that and then there's times in history and countries where it's illegal to own human bones or it's mm -hmm. it's what you think about like skull and bones over right. there in uh was it yale mm -hmm. and you know george george bush and, and george yep. bush's dad and george bush's grandfather you know all the all the bushes uh prescott mm -hmm. you know that was uh senior's father mm -hmm. well they got the bones of uh what is it jericho or uh geronimo uh, geronimo yeah 
They got fucking Geronimo's bones, and they ain't giving them back. No, they still got them. It's, That's a trip. Yeah, it's well, and it makes and it makes you wonder, like even like these ancient Egyptian practices, which I know Egypt is a whole different thing, but it's like, why do we preserve our dead so much? You know what I mean? Like, why why do we put so much emphasis on preserving the dead? And it's I don't know, man. I I believe it all goes back to necromancy or sorcery of some sort. But oh, absolutely, it's absolutely. just yeah. It's 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 interesting you mentioned that because I wanted to you know talk about that for a second. It's like okay, so Egyptians believed in embalming, and they mm-hmm. believed in a very rigorous, very uh, meticulous form of embalming in the sense that they would take the organs out and put them in separate uh, cleopic jars or whatever they're called. You know, they take the liver. The kidneys, the brain, the heart, and they, you know, put in those jars. And then they take the rest of the body and put them in a sarcophagus and wrap them up in the, in the, the bandages and all that stuff. And then, so they definitely didn't believe in cremation because they thought that they had to have all their stuff, you know, for the afterlife. Right. And then their heart would get weighed with the feather and their heart weighed, they'd go to the other place. Mm-hmm. They wouldn't go to, you know, their heaven or whatever. And then we look at um, the opposite of that is we look at, say, like the Nordic people, the Scandinavian, the Vikings, they believe in having the fire, you know, and they pushed out on a barge on the water and they would burn, you know, kind of like a live, not live, uh, what's that called? Like they weren't cremated, but they were burned. Right. And kind of you know, put back into lot the earth. Yeah. Right. And then we see with the Zoroastrians in what present day, you know, Iran, but then it was like the Persian, you know, and, and that's like the pre-Christian, you know, they were very similar to Christianity, the uh, Zoroastrianism, you know, they believed in Zarathustra. Well, they have the sky burials and they have the, the towers of the dead or whatever they call them. And they're still around and you can find pictures of it. I made a YouTube video uh, with pictures of it and it got age restricted. But uh, it's it's on there. Uh, anyways, the point is is that they just put the bodies out there and the vultures come and eat them. Hmm. And it's called a sky it's called a sky burial. Uh, the Mongolians do it too, and the Tibetans do it. They go up to the top of a mountain and they just leave the body there, and then the vultures come. The birds of prey, the carrion birds, you know. And then uh, people who are Jewish, people who are of the Jewish faith, that you know, they can't be cremated. It's against right. the religion. They got to be buried in like a pine box before sunset. It's yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, and they can be put into a mausoleum. Right. You know, I don't think they do like, embalming either. Right. Nothing is. No, they don't. Yeah. They don't, and they get away with that, and it's it's a protected thing, which is fine. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm totally for you know, like I I live in an area where uh, on the Pacific Ocean. I don't I don't live on the Pacific Ocean, but I, I near I live near the Pacific Ocean. Mm-hmm. And there's what's called a natural burial site. And it's this kind of new thing. They didn't have it in the Bay Area before. I believe it's the only one that I know of. Mm-hmm. And um, you can just be put there, no embalming fluid. I don't even think they allow embalming fluid because they don't want to poison the earth. Right. And you don't have to have a coffin. And they, some people just do mounds. So like I'm walking and I just see like mounds. And I have a video about it on my YouTube channel if anybody wants to check it out, but it's also an old cemetery from the 1800s. Actually, I think even like the late 1700s, technically back when it was still Mexico. 
-hmm. So it's kind of a weird juxtaposition because you have this very old graveyard with really old tombstones. And then you have this new, over on the other side of the uh, park, you have this thing where people just come and they just put the body in and they just leave some flowers. Like some people don't even have headstones. They just, it's literally just a mound. Like they're just like wrapped up in a bed sheet or something. I don't know. But um, yeah, all that stuff's really fascinating how we deal with the dead and the powers and stuff like that. Like I don't have a donor sticker on my on my license like i don't i don't want anybody oh, fucking with that because and i mean like, oh, you're, yeah you, you look into it it's like uh and just knowing some emts and firefighters and stuff you have that donor mm-hmm. sticker on you might not be technically dead and they're already harvesting your organs and shit. it's like I've, it, I've heard i've heard some horror stories myself yeah it's it's mm-hmm. no uh it's no fun and um it's not just that it's my it's also just my beliefs and, you know, things like I, I want to be like, uh, like, how the hell am I going to be a skeleton ghost if I don't have a skeleton? Right. Like, I got to have my bones if I want to be a spooker, you know, if I want to be playing the xylophone, like, I got to have my arms. You know, like, you ever see, like, that old cartoon where the skeletons come alive? It's like a black and white cartoon from, like, the 30s or 40s. Yeah, like, is it, it might be a Disney one, but where they pop yeah, out and they're is. like, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah it's a great and it's like yeah you know like how the hell am i going to do that if i don't have a skeleton exactly you know? but like i just my, yeah. I, I just i think too like and i know people's lives are saved with like organ donations and things like that but i don't know maybe this is like the the superstitious part of me but it's like i don't know you start putting other people's organs into other people's bodies it's like do they start to maybe take on some of the traits of that person or is there some, I don't know. It, it's crazy talk, but like, it, I, I think about that and it's like, I don't really want that. <laughs> I don't oh, want my eye. Yeah, no, there's definitely some people that would agree with you. Mm-hmm. I don't yeah, know I if I want my eyes it. in someone else's head. Like, you know, it's, yeah. yeah we talk about that, that you mentioned uh, that necromancy, mm-hmm. you know, the communing with the dead thing. And uh, you, you've seen the uh, that Buffalo Bill, uh, Silence of the Lambs. Mm-hmm. So that was modeled after that dude, uh, that pervert out there in uh, in uh, Michigan or uh, or Minnesota or Wisconsin. I think he was in Wisconsin. It was Ed Gein. Okay. His, his name was Ed Gein, and that's also where they got the idea, where Hitchcock got the idea for uh, for Norman Bates and Psycho. For Psycho. Yep. Okay. Okay, so there's a reason why that, that that's the way that is, is because, okay, so like in like 1952, in like rural, like farm town, Wisconsin, there was this dude named uh, Ed Gein. And uh, before anybody gets any, you know, presumptions, I'm not one of these serial killer fanatics. Like I, I'm not into the thing. I just, it's just American history. You know? I'm not like uh, into that shit. But anyways. So the dude was known to be a little strange, you know, and uh, he tried to be like a regular guy and everything. He lived in a really small town. And uh, after everything happened, happened, you know, people started talking and they remember like he like said weird stuff. So one of the things that they remember him saying that was really weird was he was talking about how this, uh, he goes to the guys, he goes, hey, uh, you guys hear about that Swiss doctor who uh, changed a man into a woman? And what he was referring to was the very first um, gender reassignment surgery. Mm. And they like looked at him because you got to remember, this is the early 50s in rural Wisconsin, wherever it was. I think it was Wisconsin. Right. And they go, Ed, 
are you talking about, man? That's weird. And he's like, oh, yeah, yeah, that's weird. So anyways, what ended up happening was um, Ed lived with his mom. And uh, Ed started digging up graves of women who had mm-hmm. died very recently. Then, you know, he started playing around and cutting off their skin and trying to make a dress, a suit of their, you know, just like Buffalo Bill. Right. And then um, they say he like killed a couple people, but he dug up way more people. But here's the interesting thing about Ed. He wasn't just like your normal, like, you know, he wasn't like a Jeffrey Dahmer so much. The dude would like, he believed in like the power of the dead. And Mm -hmm. it's like, how did a guy how did a guy in rural Wisconsin in the early 50s like start making belts out of nipples and lampshades out of their people's skins? And he had like a bone flute. He like made a flute out of one of their femurs, you know, and then he'd, he'd go out, he'd go out at midnight on a full moon and like bang a pot while he was like wearing this woman's skin and shit, you know? And it's like, because he had like a diary, you know, but he believed that he could raise the dead he was trying to raise the dead and when that failed he started you know but he was also um he also had gender dysphoria Mm -hmm. you know he would be considered now transgender so anyway so like uh his mom dies you know and like she sits there for like three weeks you know and then he like can't handle the the smell or or whatever but he was like in love with her too you know like and that's the norman bates psycho connection you know because remember it was like the whole time it was like him you know Mm-hmm. And his mom was dead. So they take the woman, the poor woman, down to the, the morgue and they do an autopsy and they find that, I, I, I apologize in advance, but it, it has to be said. The woman had uh, just large amounts of Ed's uh, semen on her face. Mm-hmm. So uh, little Ed had been, you know, on his dead mother. Yeah. for three weeks so um they finally catch him uh a sheriff goes out to his property and he sees bodies hanging from hooks and they find the whole thing they find all the, the tools he wasn't eating them he wasn't a cannibal but he was definitely trying to talk he had him out he had was doing spells he had spell books he had incantations written he was trying to be a necromancer it's like like, how the hell does this guy learn about the dark arts? Right. It what makes made you him wonder. think? What Something must have been talking was, to him. <laughs> what the fuck, right? Right. And that ties back to what we talked about at the very beginning of this, is you can't shelter your children because they do weird shit like this. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it, it is bizarre because it makes you wonder, like, what? how does that happen? Is that mental illness or is he talking to a demonic entity that's telling him to do this crazy shit and Mm -hmm. it's i don't know man that's my understanding you know and like sometimes i come off to people you know especially people that i i've grown up with and they think i'm joking and it's like i'm not joking it's just it's so absurd that you mistake it for humor but i have a sense of humor so i kind of placate that because i want you to listen to me because i don't want to sound like i'm preaching to my friends i don't want to sound like i'm preaching to people that i've grown up with people are still in contact with me but you know sometimes i go for walks with you know uh certain people and i'll like just kind of unload on them about like all this stuff and they're like well you don't really believe that do you and i go yeah i do 
And they go, but that's crazy. And I go, not really. Like, do you think I'm crazy? Did you think I was crazy before I told you that? And they go, no. I go, do you think I'm crazy now? They go, no. I go, well, what do you believe in? And then they got nothing. In other words, like, who's, who's, who's worse off? The guy who has some strange ideas, which are shared with other people in the world. It's not like I'm making this shit up, like, completely. Right. Or the person who has no grip on reality other than, like, well, I'm just, I just believe what I've been told. It's like, well, what if that person is crazy? Right. And then that goes back to the cavemen, you know, if you want to believe in them, like just not having that time to daydream and reflect on stuff. Like you're just doing what you're told. You're, you're indoctrinated. Yeah. You're in the matrix. Um, it, yeah. And cavemen were real. It's just, they were like the failed experiment. Mm -hmm. You know, they were what they talk about in the old Testament and in the, the Torah and the Talmud as like the mud people who didn't have a soul. Right. You know, and then people are like, oh, no, I thought it was Adam and Eve. And they go, no, you know, and then they don't know about Lilith. You know, you mm -hmm. know about Lilith. Mm -hmm. You know, she wanted to be on top. And, uh, you know, she was kind of like an independent woman, kind of, kind of chick, you know. And yep. she was kind of like, they're like, oh, we can't. And then they took the rib and, you know, the, all that. And then but we have the curse of Cain, you know, because Cain was the first murderer you know, of the, of the new people in the, in the garden. But yeah, I believe that there was, um, I believe there was some primitive people, you know, before that, like people got it all wrong. You know, they're like, oh, well, the earth was created in six days and then God had to like, you know, take a break and drink some lemonade. It's like, no, no man, like each day could be like an eon. Right. Like you, you got to stop looking at it like that. You know, but anyways, you get right. into biblical cosmology and you, know, you figure these things out. Yeah. And I was going to ask you something when we were talking about the red sky. I just remembered it. Mm -hmm. Does that have anything to do with the uh, Saturn, like being our oh. first sun? Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, Saturn is real, but it's not a planet. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah, mm -hmm. It's something else. And uh, you look at the, and this is like coming off of NASA. So, you know, maybe people like believe it. You look at the, uh, that hexagon that spins mm -hmm. around independently. And then you get into Saturnia uh, worship, you know, the cult of Saturn and, you know, uh, Santa that's Claus. A whole, that's a whole nother episode. We <laughs> right. I have right. to do a little bit of research on the black cube, mm -hmm. you know, and the cult of the black cube and why all these like big uh, corporations have giant black marble cubes out in front of their headquarters. Yeah. And... There's, there's one in San Francisco. Yeah. They're everywhere. They're absolutely. I mean, even our, uh, if you look at like the TVs and stuff, it's not a cube, but it, it is a big black box. I mean, all this stuff is. Well, look what the Muslims walk. Look what the Muslims walk around in, right. in Mecca. Right, and then the certain I think Hasidic Jews they put that black cube on their head and they mm -hmm. pray to the wall. It's yeah, that's Saturn. I mean, that's yeah, Saturn. No, what Saturn being our symbol? Yeah, it's very possible, but um, it goes kind of contrary. Like for. For Saturn to have been our first sun, it would have had to have been heaved and propelled out of the firmament because you got to remember the sun's local. Well, I right. shouldn't say got to. I shouldn't say you got to remember because, like, I don't know what you think. But within the uh, context of you know biblical cosmology and the belief that the sun isn't as far away as we're told, and you know, and there's some evidence to suggest that, and there's some evidence to 
disprove that. So you just kind of have to like pick one or the other because you don't really know for sure yourself. Right. But look, but, I mean, China's even making an artificial one right now. Or so oh, they tell yeah. us, you know, so I saw I, that. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it didn't stay up. It didn't stay up for very long, but uh, I saw the video where it stayed up and it was like, well, that's like a second sign. You know? But then we get into, um, you know, it's, it's kind of a little rabbit hole that I fell down back in the early 2000s when I was, when I was younger was the, uh, the, uh, what the hell is it called? Uh, some people call it planet X, but it has a name. Oh, uh, Nibiru. Yeah. Nibiru. Yep. You know, and I felt I fell into that whole Nibiru thing for like, I don't know, I didn't I didn't it, I didn't let it trip me up for too long, but I was I was kind of hung up on that for like, you know, a month or something back in like 2003. And I was like watching some really weird. Uh, this is before YouTube and everything, but there was like these weird sites. And, you know, I think even Alex Jones might have been talking about it. David Icke was definitely talking about it. And uh, oh man that was uh i was looking at these like really bad photoshops but like i i, I didn't know mm -hmm. but there was like supposedly people had these pictures and these really potato quality videos of like the sun coming up uh not the sun but nibiru coming up in like south america and they're like oh you can't see it in the northern hemisphere yet you can only see it at this certain time in a certain place in south america i kind of fell for that for a second and then i thought about it and i was like ah oh, guys Mm -hmm. this whole planet x things like you know because it was supposed to happen by now right i think they always were like oh it's gonna happen it's gonna like two more weeks two more weeks and that kind of thing and it was like the end of the world you know, according to like the whole planet x theory that shit was supposed to happen back in like 2008 you know and then there was a the whole 2012 thing with the mayans but then you got to figure that's not right because then we go off the gregorian calendar and you go oh, well it was adjusted for, and i go no no and then I looked at it some more and I go, wait a minute, it, it doesn't say 2012 is the end of the world. It says 2012 is the end of a, of a, there's seven, they have like these, they have an right. age. Yeah, they have these yeah. like 72 year chunks. Mm -hmm. You know, I forget they were called, but you know, it's like a thing there. And then, um, you know, it's just, I think that like the doomsayers have just always been around, you know, just like preaching, oh, today's the day. And that goes back, you know, a, 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 a denomination of Christianity that was really big on that was the seven day Adventists. Mm -hmm. and that started in the 1800s there was like these guys who said the end of the world was coming the end of the world was coming and uh the uh the waco guy david koresh he was on that trip and he was a seven-day adventist uh adventist or whatever you pronounce it mm -hmm. you know so they have a history of, of being false prophets you know it, it, and that's the funny thing when it comes from a christian perspective is it clearly states in there it says uh no man shall know the date not even the sun in heaven or some, you know, some way of like yeah. basically saying that only the creators knows the day that it's going to end. Right. So putting that stuff out there is just like completely pointless um, if you have true faith. And then there was a guy in California and he was preaching that it was going to be, uh, I believe it was April, April 20th, something 2011. And he paid for like billboards all over the country. You know, people were donating. People sold out their uh, kids' uh, college fund. They people sold their houses and bought RVs. And you know, they were like totally convinced that it was going to end, and it didn't. And he lived in the Oakland Hills, you know, which is you know, the Bay Area. And uh, they went to his house. Like the news, like went to his house, and they're like, um, it didn't happen. And uh, these people want their money back. And he's like, well, 
And he was like super funny about it. Like he knew what he was going to do. And he's like, well, the money's all gone. And they go, sir, we're talking about hundreds of millions of dollars. Where did it all go? Oh, well, I spent it on advertising. I spent it on the billboards. I spent it on the buses. And it was, it was plastered on, on all the public transit. It was huge billboards all over here, other parts of the country. And then um, they go, well, are you gonna refund the people who donated to you because you know, the world didn't end and these people don't have homes and these people don't have any money anymore. They gave all their money to you. And he's like, well, my calculations were a little wrong. It's gonna happen in October. <laughs> and then he moved. He moved out of his house in Oakland Hill. Like he disappeared with all the money. And Amazing. nobody talks about, yeah. You know, and it's just like, that's, that's, that's what these, um, these rabbit holes can take you down, you know? And then we see that with the, with the you know, I don't want to say it because the algorithm is pretty advanced, but, you know, with the letter 17 guys, Yep. you know, and uh, people just sell out their whole future for, for, uh, for somebody's wild dream. Yeah. It's, it's crazy. Um, I say we wrap it up here. I wanted to ask you one more question. Uh, sure. Because I think we've been going almost three hours if I'm looking yep. at the time, right? But um, mm -hmm. a little while ago, you had sent me some music to like uh, kind of induce an out-of-body experience. And uh -huh. I haven't had an actual out-of-body experience using it, but I've definitely had some vivid dreams falling asleep mm. to that stuff. Mm -hmm. um, but what I was going to, and I, I think I mentioned it to you, have you tried having an out-of-body experience and kind of going to the old world? Because in the old episode, you said you did kind of like travel around and see different time periods and stuff. And I was wondering if you tried that or if you think there could be any credibility to doing something like that to kind of almost time travel in the astral plane and see what uh, these places might have looked like. Yeah, no, I'll tell you the same thing I said. That is that that's a really good idea. Mm -hmm. And I need to find the time to do that. You know, maybe I'll do that later tonight. You know? mm -hmm. But no, that's a that's a really good. Uh, I've been trying to. You know, it's it's funny that you mentioned that because you know I make music and I was like trying to think like what kind of what would music like what's like old world you know music like what were they really listening to because we're told it was all like um, honky tonk pianos at the saloon, right? You know, and I go well obviously there was the the European music. You know, so I gotta, I, I think I gotta try to find the right music mm -hmm. for that, or right. I gotta make it myself. Interesting. You know, and, and then you think organs to, would play a part in that, or I think, I think organs would be a good part, but I also think like, I think a lot of like, uh, like sound design would come into it. Like, what would that, what would the old world, or what would the reset old, you know, like, like machinery, like steam, mm -hmm. like uh, the clanking of iron. The, the the shuffling of feet you know it's like yeah. i would have to try to create like a soundscape and then i can put it on youtube you know for people to listen to you know and uh i did a couple of those i did like some asmr kind of ones with the mm -hmm. uh the cliff house and then i did another one with the palace of fine arts you know and uh yeah i i, I gotta really i gotta because you've mentioned it twice now so i really gotta try to do that and then maybe next time i talk to you i'll have an update on the uh on the attempt to to try to you know travel the the out-of-body experience road you know to see if i can come up with some uh 
some, some gain some inner knowledge, you know, from the subconscious. For sure, man. And I know you're busy. You got a little one now and it's yeah. <laughs> good luck finding time sometimes, <laughs> but, yeah. uh, you know, yeah, if, if you get any time to try that and you, and you have any results, let me know for sure. But like yeah. I said, we've been going about three hours. It's always oh, a pleasure no. talking to you, man. Uh, I can talk to you all night, but uh, tell all everyone right. where they can find your stuff and uh, we'll definitely do this again. Yeah, the easiest way to figure out where I'm at is to go to the Instagram, which is at memes or Old Scary World is my uh, username on there. And there's a multi-link. They'll take you to all the other things, which is oldscaryworld.com where you can get merchandise, including sweatshirts, t-shirts, pants, things like that. And then I'm on uh, TikTok at Old Scary World. I do stuff I can't do on Instagram on there. And then obviously the YouTube channel, which is Old Scary World. And there's a Telegram chat, but you can find the link to that through Instagram. And that, that's basically it. Just go to the Instagram and you'll find everything. Awesome, man. Well, thank you for coming on. Like I said, I could talk to you all night. But uh, mm-hmm. yeah, we will do this again real soon. So you have right. a good night, man. You too. Take care. And that's the show, folks. I really hope you enjoyed it. If you did enjoy it, you know what to do. Jump over to Apple Podcasts and leave me a five-star review. Same with Spotify. Leave me five stars there as well. Uh, follow me on Instagram at upstate underscore unconventional, and please share the show. That's how this show will grow. Word of mouth is a very powerful tool that we often forget about. But if you could share the show with a friend on social media, wherever, I would greatly appreciate that. And with that being said, I love you all. I'll see you on the next episode.